what's going on everybody we have a very special interview today uh this is clowns from poor guys recorders and we have a very very special guest uh who's been in the business of software and now in the business of hardware uh for pc and his name is sean and hopefully i say your last name right borski from nzxt what's going on sean how's it going yeah you got the name right good job so uh you know uh, happy to be here thanks for having me on Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we always find these interviews interesting because there's so much in the industry and so many different things to the industry on the inside, the outside, what makes it work, how many people it takes on the team. And it's just, it's something that always intrigues us, you know, because we stare at game screens or we stare at hardware as we put it in our PCs. And we have no clue what really goes on to make all this kind of magic happen. So it's always exciting to get to learn a little bit. Um, and with me on the panel today, I do have Midway Monster, I have Mav, and Dreadpool with us as well. Um, so I'm going to go ahead, if anybody in the chat has questions, feel free to roll them, and we'll ask them as uh, they come up. And um, Sean, just to get to know you a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started in gaming, and uh, the kind of work that you used to do, and the kind that you're currently working on? Uh, sure. Uh, I'll try to not spend too much time on it. Uh <clears throat> It's a it's it's a it's a multi-part story, but generally speaking, uh, I pretty much wanted to work in video games. My you know since I was a little kid, like uh, I was one of those kids that's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna work in video games. And everyone's like, yeah, sure, everyone's gonna work in video games. Uh, that was right after the point where I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but uh, this one actually <laughs> panned out. So um, the kind of the, the early section of my career was actually before college. Uh, I I actually kind of got my start. I started working for um, a site at the time, which was called SOCOM Battles. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with SOCOM US Navy SEALs, but I was um, into playing that game. Uh, this is uh, PlayStation uh, 1. I don't know PlayStation 2. No, the first one was PlayStation 1. And I was just kind of into uh, what was becoming competitive gaming at the time. So I became what was called a referee, which I was helping like kind of the online <laughs> honor system. So the, the, the kind of the start fast forwarding into that, uh, I, I always kind of wanted to work in video games, but that site actually turned into what became Game Battles, if anyone's familiar with that site. Yes. Um, and I, yeah. uh, I got my start in PaintShop Pro back at the time doing SIGs, signatures on the forums was a big deal. So I, I kind of started learning a lot of, you know, actual graphic design and using PaintShop Pro and Photoshop doing signature requests. Um, and I eventually um, volunteered on game battles and uh, got to know the, the founder, uh, Chip, really well. And I eventually became uh, effectively the creative director designer. So I was doing the site skins and the design work for game battles. <clears throat> and uh, about that time, this is like 2007-ish, um, Major League Gaming acquired game battles. And I got to meet a bunch of the guys at Major League Gaming. Uh, th there's actually a weird circle back for this, but at the time, uh, I started, you know, working with them, and I did the major, the, the older version, not the current one, but the Major League Gaming logo. I redesigned MMO Champions logo. Uh, I redesigned Game Battles to look more like Major League Gaming, and that was kind of like my first real big kind of entry into doing websites and design. And I got an opportunity uh, for Game Battles to go work uh, at the studio in Seattle called WXP Studios. They were working on Greg Hastings' Tournament Paintball for the PlayStation Ooh. Two. Nice. 
so the the just to fast forward the story like a bit, basically we were just there to kind of QA test and put like a game battles thing, but I have kind of like a big mouth. So we were in like a marketing meeting and they were showing us stuff and they were like, oh, here's the cover, isn't it exciting? And I was like, I can do a better job than that. So one thing led to another. I like Photoshop designed the, the Greg Hastings cover like on my laptop. And the day before I was gonna go back from Seattle, because this was I was only there for like a week. They were like, oh, we want to use that. Do you want to stay here and like keep working on that? So this started a sojourn of me like living on couches. And uh, for a while I was actually living in WXC's game studio as like, a, you know, getting like a small amount of money. So uh, I ended up working a lot on like the, the print manual and the cover. And I did a little bit of QA work on Greg Hastings for, uh, and I knew Greg Hastings himself pretty well. That was uh, one of the people that kind of brought me out there. And then I started working with a bunch of his business partners on Greenwave games. And I, and I worked with like Sig Hansen on what became like the deadliest catch game for 360. Uh, we worked on a couple of other game concepts. Um, and then I got into doing the mobile version of Greg Hastings with, with a company that was called uh, Machine Works Northwest. Uh, so we did Greg Hastings for mobile. And then we eventually um, did a couple other games. So this kind of got me into Activision at the time, Activision Value. And I started doing print label work and other types of things for uh, World Series Poker, Cabela's Hunting, as well as doing mobile work with this company, Machine Works, and working with Greenwave. So I'm like 17 at this time. I can't even drink. Um, and I'm doing all this stuff. So uh, anyway, I was about the time I was going to go to college. So they offered me a job there, but I decided actually to go back to college, which was a SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, and I ended up going there, you know, getting my degree and everything. But it, during that time, I just started doing freelance work. And more and more uh, people were like, hey, can you do this work? And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. How do you do this? And then I started pulling <laughs> in friends of mine that were at SCAD that were also in the game development and interactive design degree program. And we started working with Machine Works on, uh, with 3D Realms to do Duke Nukem and Pray for Mobile. We eventually... Uh, did like 3D models and textures. We were like working in the, the SCAD, like game development building at night. And, you know, uh, I was also starting to work like doing the major league gaming redesign and started taking on website clients. So by the time I graduated, um, I, I kind of went over to work for BMW briefly on the seven series as part of my college program. And they also offered me a job in Munich, but I decided, no, my life's about games. So I went back and I actually moved back to where I'm from, Atlanta, and I started a game studio uh, slash website design firm called Anthem Design Group. And uh, one of my great friends from from a school that I actually do a podcast with, his name Richmond, uh, we started uh, Anthem in Atlanta and we just started doing basically anything that would come in the door, like websites, applications, uh, video games. We worked on Guitar Hero for mobile. We did tons of, tons of 3D Realms titles. We worked on a, uh, a bunch of things for high heat. So MLB branded stuff. We did a couple of DS games. We were basically uh, starting to do 3D modeling and porting. Uh, we, we basically ported Field Runner from iPhone to basically like what I call hardcore mobile, like not before iPhone when you had to do like uh, basically like Qualcomm and Brew and J2ME just with really hardcore coding platforms and stuff. And then we started doing iPhone and to jump forward a, a bit, basically, uh, I had that company. We had about 15 employees. We did like Royal Caribbean and uh, a couple of pharmaceutical companies, uh, doing pretty well. But I started kind of losing employees to people in San Francisco. And I started kind of getting into the reality of running a business like taxes, bill collection, <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff that as a designer you don't really want to do. And uh, I also started finding out that in the game industry, when you're a porter, 
and you're doing a lot of like backend work for companies like uh, Hands-On and Activision, that they kind of use you as a bank a little bit. Like you go for like 90, 120 days where you're owed like $100,000. And for like a 18 year old kid that has an office in Atlanta, that's like a really, that's really tough. So um, yeah. I, did, I did, I was pretty proud of what I did. A, a lot of the people ended up moving uh, to the West Coast. So I sold the company in about 2010 moved to San Francisco and that I, I started working in a company called uh, Rivet Games. We were making Facebook games. So we had a bunch of people there from Insomniac and High Moon Studios and we were making Pet Tales, which is uh, a pet park game that was on Facebook, <laughs> which nice. actually did pretty okay. Uh, we were really close to getting acquired by Amazon Game Studios back when they were first starting to do that. Um, we had an excellent CEO, uh, Jesse Janisov from Xbox that was the CEO who uh, definitely a great guy, really good in the gaming industry, but they eventually shuttered, uh, you know, did the classic startup, like, uh, I guess we're not going to do this. We worked on a few, like a couple other Facebook games, like a weird Western one. And, a, a you know, we had a, a, you know, a petting game on iPhone, but then I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to chill from games for a bit. So I started just doing tons of freelance work in the Bay area. Um, and I, I ended up kind of stumbling into working with first round capital. Uh, and eventually I joined Hotel Tonight. Uh, the CEO kind of talked me into this vision they had for hotel booking, which seemed like a really weird departure for me. I also worked at like a company Legal Reach for a bit, which was a social network for attorneys, which is a terrible idea. And we found that out. But the two guys that I worked with, <laughs> one of them went off and started Instacart and the other one went off and started Fast Fight. And I went to Hotel Tonight. So I think we all did better than the, the legal social network. Um, so I worked at, I was the, the lead designer at Hotel Tonight for uh, a while. And then uh, after a few years, I wanted to kind of get back into gaming and mobile, but I didn't want to get back into the grind of making video games. So I jumped to this company called, uh, at the time it was called Contagent Playhaven. Uh, and they eventually branded to Upsite, the kind of a mobile analytics um, game firm that worked with a ton of mobile games and stuff. And I was, I was the creative director there for a few years. And then I found out that Blizzard had opened an office in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, well, Blizzard, I've always wanted to work uh, there. I mean, I've worked on a ton of games. I worked for Activision. You know, I thought that, that time I'd done about 15 different games or something. But I was like, you know what? I kind of want to back in the industry, but I don't want to work on the games. I want to work on like other stuff. And they were hiring a mobile team out there. So I just joined Blizzard as the design lead for mobile. And that was not, and that was where we like, I worked on like the BlizzCon app. Um, eventually developed the Battle.net mobile app, um, the Overwatch League mobile app. Uh, I maintained, my team maintains really the, uh, the World Warcraft Armory for a while, which was got its own story entirely. <laughs> um, and then eventually they closed the San Francisco office after about a year. So me and my colleagues actually ended up moving down to Orange County uh, to join Blizzard. Uh, we worked on a number of things, kind of grew the team, uh, grew them out in our Austin office as well. And I eventually was promoted to group design manager and I was managing uh, a lot of the content management systems, websites, uh, mobile apps for web and mobile organization within Blizzard. Um, and then we had a couple of different kind of reorgs over the years. So I was there for about five years, did all the, all basically all the mobile apps that you've seen from Blizzard. Uh, my, I worked on or led the design in in some way. I helped develop out like the push notification system that Hearthstone uses and then Eventually, uh, Battle.net and web and mobile organizations inside of Blizzard merged into Battle.net and online products. And I took a detour and kind of became a product manager and I managed the data teams at Blizzard doing all the pipeline work back end. And then uh, being, uh, having all this background in mobile, 
I was actually heading up the uh, what was called the mobile readiness initiative. So a lot of things I can't tell you about, but I worked very closely with people from on the representing the Battle.net side on Diablo Immortal. Um, obviously worked on Hearthstone, a couple of the uh, the secret titles that may or may not be happening. Uh, I worked <laughs> on a number of those that I can't tell you about because they're not out yet. Uh, and then I, I kind of became I was a group a group manager within the Battle.net platform group. So I was for the most part um, also working on the the movement to uh, Google plat Google Cloud platform and. Uh, all sorts of technology. And uh, anyway, ultimately, I, I kind of came to the point where I love Blizzard and I was really excited about what we were working on. But I got into this interest to make, you know, to make video games and to do design work. I'm a interface designer at heart and by skill. And I had a number of friends that had left to go to NZXT, which I was aware of. We, you know, we, we actually had done a number of PCs for BlizzCon with NZXT. And uh, I wasn't really planning to leave. I actually was just going to take a break to, to write and do my podcast and stuff. And um, a lot of my friends at NDXC kind of convinced me that they had like a really cool vision. And I was really excited about getting into something that was peripheral to gaming, but because I really love being in the industry, but I just didn't want to work on games. And Blizzard almost tricked me into getting back into game development because I was doing all the tech integration work. I was on the phone with our developers for Diablo Immortals doing a bunch of work for the, like Overwatch and Diablo 4. Like I was, I kind of got tricked back into that life to some degree. So uh, I, I eventually like in, in May decided to, to leave for a bit just because I was getting kind of burned out and we were working so hard and I was going to write. And then uh, my friends in NZXT were like, well, you got to talk to Johnny, the CEO, just talk to him, just talk about these things. And anyway, I was uh, eventually convinced to join to lead the design teams there. So that's the, the long slash short version of roughly my experience uh, in the industry. First of all, I just want to say that that is really an awesome story um, because it, it shows that you have a lot of passion for what you do. Uh, when you when you take a job knowing that you're going to be you know sleeping on couches just because it's the work that you love and you still do it anyway, that is pure passion right there. Um, so that amazes me. Uh, unbelievable. Um, I knew somebody as well from who was with, I guess, Activision when they first took over Call of Duty. Um, uh, I also met Chance Glasgow. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he told me the story of how he was living out of his car just to make video games uh, until Activision came out and bought, you know, Infinity Ward. He was one of the original loving people at Infinity Ward. So that reminds me of like that pure passion that. Man, you just love something, so you go for it, and you want to do it, and you want to learn it more. That's amazing, man. That's, that's true. I, I often tell people that the game industry is a game is an industry of heroes. Like, you, obviously, there's all sorts of things you talk about with timelines and quality and people, but, like, anybody you meet that are on dev teams or working on games, like, they really give a shit. Like, they're putting their all into this stuff. Like, to you know, so whenever I see people kind of criticizing it, I'm always like, hey, criticize the publisher for this or criticize, you know, the development leadership, but like never question that the people that work on these games, like love, love it to their core. Like, yeah, you're definitely right. Yeah. You definitely have a lot of um, variation in, in everything you've done in gaming. So it's, it's nice to see that you you've, it's not just one thing that you have a, a, a vast knowledge of a little bit of everything there. So not just the passion, I think it's an example of a fan kind of working their way into the industry, right? Um, you kind of 
weaseled your way in there through a website, just doing stuff that a lot of people do even today, just for free, you know, messing with websites, doing forum support, I guess you could say, like uh, uh, trying Oh, yeah. to help out. And then uh, eventually one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You do do it for so long. And that, yeah, that's a, that's an awesome story to have a true uh, fan that's worked their way to now being such a big part of a big company, you know? Well, I tell people a lot that the value that I got, even though I have a degree in game development and interactive design, most of what I feel like I got from school are the friends that I made and the connections Yeah. that I made. Like, uh, ultimately, you, I feel like if you have the passion, you should you should get into it for sure. Like, they're you know most of the people in the industry, especially like you can enter from community management. Um, even at Blizzard, a ton of my really talented colleagues came up to the customer service organization and through temporary assignments or internships managed to get in and they, you know, they, they learned on the job. So yeah, definitely agree. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you need some sort of training to get into the industry. Did you So, pay so, for college by, by doing those just odd jobs here and there pretty much? um, so yes and no. So when I entered college, my, my, my parents and I was in Georgia, the Hope Scholarship did fund the first year, but by the, by my, by a second year, all those odd jobs and things, I did take it over from my parents. And then by the time I left college, I had already paid off my, my loans. That's awesome, man. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, uh, worked a lot. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm a total workaholic. That's, that's why I drink coffee all the time. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a little better at it now, but, uh, I used to work pretty much constantly and I loved it. That's kind of like when you first started, uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, the, uh, fake it till you make it, you know, you, you just got to do what you got to do. And, and you know, it, it's cool to, to, to see that you've actually, you're, you're learning from other people to, to prove that you know what you're doing and, and producing, not just, Oh, well, I don't know this. And then walking away, you know, just do what you got to do. Uh, I would say that actually inadvertently led to me kind of cultivating a very valuable skill set that I didn't plan at all. Like tons of people helped me and were real, like trained me and mentored me and uh, trusted me and stuff. But yeah, you're, you're right. Like most of my career has just been like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. And being like, crap, how do I do that? And just kind of doing the best that I could and, and learning and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you're totally right. It's just a matter of, I'm not afraid of doing that all. Or, you know, if someone doesn't tell me what to do, I'll just fill in the blanks. I coach a lot of designers that like um, you shouldn't, you should never look for the limitations. You should always look for the, the vision and then you'll kind of back your vision into reality and work through it. And like, <laughs> sometimes that means like, Oh, Hey, they didn't provide the logo in vector format. You could, you could decide that you're stuck or you could just throw their, you know, a crappy JPEG in the illustrator and trace it and then move forward or just redesign it entirely. Oh, I didn't get the copy for this. Just fill up, you know, make up some cool copy. You know, that kind of thing, like just uh, always having that move forward spirit, I think it inadvertently develops a very wide, valuable skill set. Like I said, I don't want to take credit like I planned it. I just happened to always just do stuff that was in front of me. Yeah, ingenuity makes makes all the difference. You know, when you like you said, when you're put behind the gun like that and don't have the assets you need, it just uh, it's pretty cool to see that the that others are also still doing that and pushing the boundaries. Um, I, the one thing I wanted to say was that it was very interesting that you mentioned uh, the SOCOM uh, forums that turned into game battles because I remember the early days of game battles uh, and I remember 
how tight of a community it was because it was a really tight community at one point of people and uh we actually had a group on xbox for uh what was it rainbow six siege black arrow and we actually did game battles with that game and we did team compete at the time and i remember mm-hmm. like <laughs> during the game battle days like some, there were so many questionable things that happened back then because you know it's not like today where you can see stuff on stream constantly you can view who's doing what and sometimes yeah. people will be like oh well that person glitch the wall or that person yeah. cheated and then you'd have to record your matches and then submit them to referees and have the referee review it to see you know well was this really somebody who was cheating or was this just like an accidental glitch or was this just like an on called for kind of you know what i mean like it was it's it was a whole different kind of day back then and i i kind of miss those days in a sense because i just felt mm-hmm. it was more pure it was a being a referee and an admin in that thing is yeah you're right it was like a special kind of fun experience but yeah you're definitely in this place where you, you'd have to go in on xbox or on playstation and get in there with your microphone and be like hello i'm a game battles referee and they're like they were cheating they were cheating and you're like okay okay <laughs> whoa whoa here I, I actually more than like basically i don't know if you were i don't know if this was the same in rainbow six because i usually i didn't ref in rainbow six but i remember most of the time the answer was just to make them play the game again and you had to spectate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually remember, believe it or not, there were some people that were brazen enough to glitch in front of a referee. Like I actually had it happen a few times where I was like, this guy is wall glitching. He knows I'm spectating. Like, um, so, I mean, but yeah, that was definitely a, a different time of competitive gaming for sure. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember, I mean, you might probably not remember our group name because there was quite a few groups back then on there, but we were Abandon All Hope. Um, that was our, our group for Rainbow Six Siege. It sounds kind of familiar, but to be honest with you, like I think by the time that Siege was on there, I was doing more like design and training referees and staff. Like I, In terms of actual referee work and admin work, I mostly... Uh, I mostly managed like the SOCOM ladders because that's what I knew and then a, a so couple other ones. But when you were sitting at home on the uh, computer or whatever, were you wearing a uh, striped shirt? <laughs> uh, no, I was actually uh, just drinking a, a lot of like brisk iced tea. Okay. Yes. Yes. Which, which I learned later have a tremendous amount of calories in them. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> so my, my parents were like, you shouldn't do this. You should go out and get like a job and like whatever. And I was like, so, so of course now they're like, oh, you knew what you were doing. You knew this was going to be a job. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I knew that. <laughs> Definitely wasn't just buying Mountain Dew and brisk iced tea and playing video games in my room all day. Totally planning to have a job. So we have a technical question, Clowns, that just came in from the chat. So um, I don't know if you want to read that. Yeah, I do. It's uh, I I think it's kind of like a funny question. Yeah, it but is. <laughs> in, in Infinite, one of the viewers in the chat asked, "Should we build a PC around the case or a case around the PC?" <laughs> is there uh, any right I or mean, wrong answer? Uh, I'll give you like a, a a serious version of that question, which is like, depends what you want out of your 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 PC. Like, if you, I would say, if you want like it sitting on your desk and being all beautiful. Uh, I mean, obviously, start with your start with your case because like that's going to be the way that it looks. But if if you want to build like an absolute powerhouse, you know, uh, you know, get your your components first and then figure out a case that'll fit in it. Um, or I don't know. I think a lot of people start with their GPU or what they want to do with it. Like, do you want to do gaming? Do you want to do whatever? But <clears throat> I mean, 
personally, I, I like to start with like the, the case to some degree, but that's because like mine's on my desk and I, you know, really, I, I, it sparks joy to look at it, but like, yeah, if you just want like a, a you know, beefy powerhouse, that's going to sit under your desk, then like start with your components. But I don't know if there's a joke version of this, of the answer, but that's my, my semi-serious answer. <laughs> so does it matter if I start with my nineties tower? <laughs> I definitely don't think so. I mean, I, I was also like the test rigs, like theoretically, you don't need a case. I mean, yeah, you get all the components, you mount them correctly. They could just sit in a box <laughs> if you want. <laughs> you know, the people that have like built those desks that have a PC inside of them, like in, in reality, it's like the, the, the philosophical question, like what is a case? It's like, does it contain your hopes and dreams or does it, does it just contain your components? Who knows? I'm a stickler for vintage. Give me that old IBM aluminum case. Oh, no, <laughs> no way. No, with, with the with the red switch on the side, you know, like to power it up. Oh, you got to uh, take that, that old e-machines e case that's sitting in my garage and take all the components <laughs> out of it. And uh, I'm here for the compact Presario. The just the like <laughs> the entire case Pissario, is mostly a, a facade shell for some reason. Awesome. Yeah. What about what about Nooks? What do you think of those? Nooks like the the tablet? Uh the you know, mini PCs. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a very strong opinion about them like to be honest with you. Like when uh, I I kind of look at a a PC, it kind of comes down to like again, it's like what you want out of it. Um when I think about like things like that, like the smaller PCs, I'm like, well, it's it's to me like what kind of hack project are you trying to do? Like when I hear like that, like a Nook or a Pi, it's like, oh, are you trying to, uh, you know, you trying to build some some weird like uh, system or hack project that you want going, or uh, do you want to create something that needs to have the computer mounted on the wall or something like that? Um, but I always go Raspberry Pi when I'm trying to do a project like that. I, I haven't really messed around with the mini PCs. Although uh, at Blizzard, we had a bunch of ones where it was like, oh, we need a server. Someone's like, let's just put a Mac mini under someone's desk. And that'll support like 40 million players. What could go wrong? Um, so. <laughs> okay. That's the first time I've ever heard that story. That's pretty cool, actually. Uh, just to know that people, you know, in the industry do uh, like little hack projects like that. That's kind of fun. I, um, I, I probably I shouldn't mean... tell you all this, but like like uh, the, the push notification service that runs all of Blizzard's hundreds of millions of push notifications there was at least two years where it was all being served off of a Mac mini that was sitting under someone's desk in Austin. Oh, I, well, I, I could yeah. see that. I, I mean, I could see it being practical even for that, for what it, you know, for what it was, that makes sense. Uh, but I'm glad it wasn't a gaming server. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this um, make it cringe. I, I had, I had wrecked effects at uh, parts of my uh, PC when I was growing up. Like screwed uh, it to like keep things together. Gorn DT says, is this live? Hi, Sean. I don't know if you know him. I guess he's watching on Periscope on uh, Twitter. Oh, uh, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I was going to say, you know, back in the day, the most interesting, unique app project that I've seen was when I was on the uh, America Online forums, a bunch of Slackware guys. Uh, if you remember Slackware, they they made servers out of pizza boxes. And like they were like bragging about how their pizza boxes stayed cool and they could run servers off them, and I was like, 
I trust something like that. That was before I really knew how to build the PC. I mean, I would take mine apart all the time because we had like gateway PCs and I would just take them apart and swap parts. But I never thought about like a pizza box until I saw that forum post. I, I feel like it probably is very breathable material, I would guess. Um, huh. Yeah. Back, I think back then too, like the chips that they used to use for uh, Linux weren't as resources intensive. They probably didn't have really good graphics cards. They probably just ran like <laughs> B- BBS style forums or something off them. Yeah, that's fair. So, hey, I got a question. So, after all of your journey, you know, and I know you kind of started doing a little bit of work for them, but other than that, what made your decision uh, to choose NZXT actually as the company to kind of stick with, you know, like, uh, uh, I see they have a lot of good branding and I see um, a lot of, you, you know, high profile content creators actually using these PCs. Is that something that drew you to them or is it, um, is it more about the quality or? Uh, not really. I actually didn't know uh, like many of the influencers or like streamers that used it. Um, for, for me, it's, um, well, so I, I'd say, first of all, I, I saw a, a company that had a lot of similar aspects to what I liked about Blizzard. Very, very customer focused, very design driven. Um, that sounds like very kind of cheesy to say, but there are really not a lot of, there's just not a lot of companies in the world that are actually design driven, like they really prioritize it. Uh, something I liked about Hotel Tonight when I worked there, something I like about Blizzard, it, like that, so, so that element uh, alone makes it interesting. I will say like definitely originally I was like, oh, I'm not that interested in just like doing hardware stuff. But um, I think the fact that like NZXT is is so interested in being um, an inclusive gaming company, like to to give you an idea, like for me, um, the real sweet spot for things that I love are what I would call lifestyle brands. Um, I feel like Hotel Tonight was one like that, Blizzard is like that where um, they have like obviously products they offer. I think that you can consider Nike a lifestyle brand. Like to me, just like, like inject that shit into my veins kind of like just the your entire the entire thing they do isn't just about what they make it's like the community and the values they they kind of push forward uh they you know they they create this halo around them like so you you know you can you can kind of look at companies like blizzard and they've made a few missteps recently but overall the like there are friendships formed and just like there's so much great like lore and fun to be had around those games so for me when i look at a company like like NZXT, um, I see kind of an opportunity to be part of that community and really, and in a lot of ways, like we kind of talked talk about how like I'm a total workaholic. There's a part of me that was like, man, I'm only working on like three games. I could be working on every game out there, um, like in theory, right? Like, so we get to be engaged with the rest of the community. And uh, the fact that NZXT is so design led to me, that's just, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of engagement in creating a cohesive experience across everything we're doing. Like, it's very exciting to be like, how do we tie hardware and software CS, like what happening is happening on social media? Like, how do we bring all these things together? Um, and even places like Blizzard had like a lot of blockages to, you knew an amazing kind of experience you could offer customers, but Blizzard's kind of a place where you have to align everybody and get a ton of consensus and everyone's got, it in their heart the right way. Like everyone's doing it for the players, but ultimately everyone's got slightly different directions. So getting anything done is very, very slow. So looking at a place like NZXT is so having the drive to do cool things like that, having uh, the leadership 
to to want to do it, having the desire to become bigger than what you're doing, trying to bring all of that together in service of like the gaming community, like like I said, inject that shit into my veins. Like that's that's why I got into this industry. I didn't get into it to to make to like just like to make things or to design. Like I I enjoy people enjoying those things. Like uh, you know, you uh, part of part of like you the way that you get the energy from working at Blizzard is going to things like BlizzCon and just like absorbing everyone's enjoyment of what you contribute to. So to me, NZXT offers that in a variety of ways across the industry. And I happen to really resonate honestly with, NZXT has kind of an underlying uh, approach around uh, a kind of a bit more mature, less stereotypical approach to gaming, which is why a lot of our products are very clean, very mature looking. Not that there's anything wrong with like a, you know, your black and green spaceship looking, uh, you know, awesome looking rigs and stuff. But I really resonated with like getting older and getting into this more mature area of gaming and the idea that that creates inclusion where you're you can be proud of being whatever gamer you are and you don't get kind of saddled with that old niche idea of being a gamer that's been around for a while so to me that the mission of creating this inclusive like we're not trying to be pc master race about it we're not trying to be limiting we want more pc gamers we want more people coming in we want to include everybody we want it to be this fantastic huge community the fact that we're, we're able to drive that through all sorts of things. Like to me, I, I want to be at the center of all that and I have to actually work on the games myself so I can enjoy them too. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's man. awesome. Um, Pope's in the chat and he says, Sean is a great guy and infinite wants to let you know that he thinks you're pretty cool. Oh, uh, cool. Thank you. I think y'all are cool too. <laughs> so, um, um you, you mentioned, ahead. um, blizzard missteps. Uh, now, when you say that, for, for, for us as gamers, we, we kind of look at Blizzard's missteps where they're basically Activision. So uh, mm -hmm. how much involvement does Activision and Blizzard have? Because I know there was a lot of turmoil back and forth between the two with the uh, people being in charge. And, you know, we're just gamers. We don't know the inside stuff. So we don't know part of the, you know, the inner politics. How much of that is that we don't know or are we on with with activision being you know i i just like with like half the things we're talking about the answer is of course always more complicated than you might expect <laughs> um so so what i what i will uh, will say is that um i do think that overall the perception that activision is doing stuff to blizzard is is on its face kind of incorrect blizzard as a as a company within activision blizzard is um, generally speaking, Activision and Blizzard are, are, are treated separately. And Activision Blizzard, the overall publishing arm, is like a holding company of it. So they, they, for the most part, Activision and Blizzard still operate fairly autonomously. They have been combining shared functions like HR and like finance and that kind of thing. And it's definitely correct that there is a little bit of a push to be more shareholder focused. But I would say like down on the ground level of the development uh, area, a lot of um, the decisions that Blizzard has made are 100% their own fault. Like, it's not because of Activision. It was because uh, either leaders made assumptions or they didn't prioritize stuff. Um, but the, the development teams, generally speaking, um, I feel like are still fairly, they, they have a lot of what makes the, the secret sauce taste good, if you will. Um, and everybody that I worked with at Blizzard is amazing and they are bleeding Blizzard Blue passion into the games they're working on. Uh, I like personally. I, I think the way that to kind of look at it is that 
Uh, Activision isn't going to break. Like, they're basically like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is kind of the thing. Uh, and I, I think that where you're seeing Activision's influence more is a bit more in the approach to things like esports. Um, and a lot of the things that I've seen in terms of working with, uh, like all the Call of Duty studios are awesome as well. Um, it's it, You really see it mostly in the way that they think about money, if that makes sense. So it's definitely true that Activision uh, as a parent company is a little bit less interested in risky endeavors, which is why they're investing so heavily in things they know people will love like Diablo and Overwatch. Um, and most of the new stuff they were working on, not that they aren't working on cool new stuff that's completely brand new, but a lot of the the really in development stuff is based on current franchises. Like they're sticking, they're sticking to trying very hard to give customers what they feel like they're telling them. Um, so I don't know if that's a, like kind of a long answer to your question, but I uh, I do know that's what's really kind of strange is that because Blizzard is actually by people much larger than Activision, there was always the perverse perception from Activision employees that Blizzard was going to eat Activision actually. Um, because you're because you're talking about a much like much larger centralized teams. Activision is really kind of um, much more spread out, but I, I often kind of tell people like ultimately your mileage may vary because Blizzard isn't really a big company. They're a loose confederation of game studios. And in a lot of ways, they're trying very hard to know what it's like to act like a big company and still kind of maintain their soul. And it's 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 tough. So that's why I call them missteps, is I, I really think that like behind all of the the effort and stuff that happens like they're not trying to do these things like they're they're mistakes uh, and some of them ultimately are just kind of teaching them that blizzard has these values they've kind of put out there and the people on the ground absolutely weaponize and live by the values and talk about them and most of the stuff you see tends to happen from the leadership level and their heart's kind of in the right place like you can kind of talk through the logic of it um but like ultimately they didn't live by a certain value and they learned a hard lesson. So um, I still have a lot of faith in, in Blizzard, to be honest with you. Like one of like the reasons that I think you're seeing a lot of people leaving um, isn't because like people are getting kicked out by Activision or whatever. It's just, um, there's a lot of like kind of reason you go to, to Blizzard, if you will. I, I tell people that kind of have, they have like a barrel of Blizzard energy that you either do things that tap your energy or you do things that refill it. And right now, um, I had a colleague at Blizzard. I actually really love this. He used to say that what happens, Blizzard kind of goes in this cycle. And the same thing to, do, to agree with Activision, where um, every once in a while, they breathe deeply in. Um, and that tends to be when they, they lose money. You don't see a lot of games coming out. They might have layoffs and stuff. And then, but when they exhale, they exhale excellence. They, like, so the last time this happens, D3 wasn't going well, layoffs. They breathed in, and then Hearthstone and Overwatch came out. And so right now we're just in a breathe-in cycle where they're not a company that knows how to deal with not making money hand over fist very well. <laughs> and I think they're trying desperately to get good at it. But to be honest with you, uh, one thing that I always think is really important, you, you'll hear from a lot of people at Blizzard that it's like very trust-based and consensus-based. They're slow for a reason. Like there's not a lot of top-down architecture actually. Like it's actually what hurts. All the teams are very empowered to do their own thing. And it, sometimes it really bites Blizzard. Like their their leadership is so unwilling to tell teams what to do. Um, when I was in a, a team like Battle.net where we're trying to help everybody and try to centralize decisions and try to make things, whatever, all of them going off and doing their own thing makes it actually very hard to achieve things very quickly. So uh, very often when you see decisions coming out of Blizzard or Activision, believe it or not, they're more likely to come from the specific team that made the decision. 
Um, and then the leadership of the company is trying to reorient and protect, uh, protect what they did. Um, because like, that's what leadership does. They take the blame, even if it's not their fault. So it's a very long-winded way of saying like, yes and no, but I, I really think that it's not as bad as people think. Okay. So basically the Apple fools joke was, was actually on Bungie's fault then not Activision pushing them. What, which, which April fools joke are we talking about? Cause there's plenty. <laughs> the, the cell phone game that nobody wanted. Um, so let, let me, let me tell you about that one. I, I'm, I think I'm more particularly defensive of Diablo Immortal because I worked with on the team, like, or rather I worked very closely with the team mm -hmm. and for, for everything about Blizzard internally, there were certainly some people that were like, hey, maybe this isn't the greatest announcement in the world for BlizzCon right now. But to be honest with you, most people that I worked with and know, like in their mind, we're just making a great, they were just making a great new Diablo game. They like, there were, there was a significant portion of people that I worked with that were really shocked at, at the, at, like, of course, in hindsight, you can kind of look at it and see the setup. And uh, without telling you things that I can't really tell you, there were a lot of other things that were planned. Um, so I, I think that Blizzard really often runs runs aground of their it's not ready till it's ready um, type of thing. So like often they get themselves into situations where Diablo Immortal was not necessarily going to be the, the flagship, but that's just kind of what ended up happening. BlizzCon tends to get planned all the way up, you know, from February all the way up to November. Um, and like I said, I think they really saw it as um, hey, they got to know that a D4 is coming. We're, this is like a, just a cool, new, fun game. Um, and and like, like what I will say is like, yes, there is, there is Chinese development, but when you talk to most people at Blizzard, it, like, it's actually more common that they forget to include China experience. And like, it's, it's really something where we're like, oh crap, what about China? Like, how do we even do that? Like, so the, the priority around it, I think is much less than people think. And like, Ultimately, one, one reason why I keep trying to tell people like, yeah, give Diablo Immortal a chance is that there is a massive, fairly large, passionate team at Blizzard in California that are basically running the design and art of the game. And they're all ex-Diablo guys. Like they all love it. They're not treating it like a mobile game. And they fought for six to eight months, making sure that the business model and the way the game is treated is a proper Blizzard experience. So like, Ultimately, yeah, the, the way the announcement kind of sucked and they really didn't roll it out. But, um, and <laughs> I think Wyatt, who is an amazing guy, like probably was just under a lot of pressure. I mean, this is a guy that worked on Diablo 3 for multiple years. He's on stage. You know, he said something in like the heat of the moment that became a meme. Kind of sucks. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know. Ultimately, I think there's just a lot of misconnections that add up to something that I, I really believe like, Fast forward five years from now, everyone's going to be really happy that they can play Diablo 4 and they can, you know, be on their phone and play Diablo Immortal. Uh, I think the technical alpha is about to come out. I mean, the game's definitely gone through a development hell, don't get me wrong, but people really give a shit. And the reason they kept pushing it out was to make sure it was good. And I obviously, I'm no longer at Blizzard, but when I last played the game internally, it's super, super fun. I'm going to be a, a fan of it when it comes out and I'm, I'm you know, uh, I, I feel like people just, you know, you don't, you don't always see all the mechanisms that are happening. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things are just inadvertent mistakes or just people in the heat of the moment didn't realize how it came off, you know? Okay. You know, you see, and that's the thing, everybody here on the panel knows, and, and most of the people in the chat uh, that I'm all, I'm a fan about expanding the lore. So anything that helps promote more of the game of the base game. So even if it is a cell phone game or a, 
like a, a standalone DLC that's not part of the main characters, stuff like that. I, I'm all about that. You know, even if it's, you know, let's let's throw Halo under the bus. You know, you went from first person <laughs> shooter back to an RTS. You know what I mean? So anything like that, I'm, I'm all about that stuff. You know, keep Halo out from under the bus and tread. Please. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> they even had know. those Spartan assault games. You know yes, what I mean? exactly. Yeah. And I, I liked them because it gave you another thing, you know, and I always yeah. use uh, ODST as, as the prime example, you know, everybody wanted to be master chief, but guess what? You're not, <laughs> you're just another, another peon, another human trying to, you know, make your way through. But that was the cool part is because you're actually expanding more information with what's going on. I mean, look at all the books that we're reading with mass effect and halo it there's more lore to all these games so you know like i didn't personally see anything wrong with it it's just the timing was off you know and that's it, it's cool to see that there's there's a lot more in the background i just i just figured i wanted to kind of point that out that a lot of people jump to conclusions a lot of times you know we all do it i do it it's just we you know we see activision oh they're the evil empire you know, they, they ruined Blizzard. They, you know, it, but it, internally, there's other things, other factors that happen. So I like to bring this stuff out to be a little bit more common mm-hmm. sense versus reactionary because a lot of people react with feelings. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. There's the people aren't, aren't entirely wrong. There's definitely a little bit of uh, pervasive influence that Activision pushes that makes certain decisions happen. But I think in terms of all the decisions that people attribute to Activision, uh, I don't think that's that's a fair thing to level with them. But like I said, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, that's not true at all. Like you know, you know, it's definitely, it, but it's more like that one of thing where it's like slow machinations that you don't really see happening, and it's more about putting pressure on certain situations. But in terms of like the game development and the roadmap, it's actually was always surprising to me how much autonomy they continue to grant to Blizzard. Um, most of the people being in Blizzard's leadership are people that have been there forever. Even with a lot of the people like leaving and started, you know, going over to Dreamhaven and stuff, you still have a ton of people there that are very committed to their cause. So, like, you know, I, I always feel bad because like there's so many people there that really care, um, and sometimes people just make mistakes. You know? Something but I want to say that happens with every game company, also not just you know Activision Blizzard. So mm-hmm. oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, there's a there's actually a panel member on the show. He's not here today. But if he would have found out that you're from, you know, that you spent time at Blizzard, he would probably ask for an autograph because he is like a pure Blizzard fan. Like he's one of those like uh, super WoW fans. And the minute Shadowlands dropped, he like had the pre-order ready. He was all ready to go. He loves the WoW armory. I mean, he just loves Battle.net and everything. So he would be super excited to have gotten to talk to you. I wish he was kind of... He would have so many questions for you. Um, that was always a, a surreal experience for me because, like, uh, I had a few times when I was working at, at BlizzCon, I had a couple of colleagues that experienced this where they'd ask, they, I've been asked for my autograph, and I'm like, who the hell am I? Like, it was, this is, so it's, that's never, like, it's always like fun, but it never, it never really, especially for most of the people that work at Blizzard you know, that are not like, you know, well known game developers and stuff, like, uh, you don't expect that, but it's, you know, especially like, one, th- one thing, uh, with, with the exception of obviously this year, like I've been to BlizzCon the last like six years and it was always by far my favorite thing. And part of it was because like, um, you really can have conversations with people and uh, you can feel the energy and the appreciation coming off of them. So that's cool. Yeah, there's just so much passion there, I think. 
Um, I know that you said that you're a workaholic, so probably working at Blizzard, you were probably working on multiple things. Did you ever have time to like really play Diablo or play WoW? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would say that there was definitely a correlation between like the higher up in leadership I got at Blizzard the last time I had to play games. Um, but I'm, I'm still, I still try very hard to, to, to play as much as I can. I don't play as much as I used to. Actually, a, a joke we used to have is that Diablo 3 used to be a thinking game for a lot of people. Because like if you play it at a low enough level, you can just sit there and kind of click. You like, you know, if you're running through a dungeon or a rift or something and you're geared enough, like you don't really need to pay attention. So it kind of becomes relaxing. Um, but I mean, WoW is one of those games where I, I feel like I'm a, uh, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm a, a patient that I keep forgetting. Like I'm not really into MMOs. I mean, I love the WoW lore and I love Warcraft three and I'm into all that stuff. And every time I'm like new expansion, this is it. I'm going to get into MMOs. I'm going to get into WoW. I play through like the campaign content, you know, I, I do a bunch of dungeons and then I chicken out doing a raid and I'm like, well, uh, wow, I'll see you. <laughs> I'll see you for the next expansion. Uh, personally, I'm a huge Heroes of the Storm fan. Like I was actually even before I joined Blizzard when it was in beta, and I still play a ton of probably probably the most amount of Heroes of the Storm. And I have spent an embarrassing amount of money on Heroes of the Storm. I'm all into like skins <laughs> and that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I, I'd say like um, I, I'm like kind of one of those ones where I. I'll, I'll kind of play my fill of Diablo and I'll play a lot of it. And then I'll be like, well, that's enough Diablo for a few years or a year or something. And then event, at some point I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to just play through the campaign for no reason uh, or, or something like that. So, I mean, I always uh, tend to return to it. And like, I'd say other games like Hearthstone is one of those games where I've tried really hard to be good at it, but I can only be good if I'm not paying attention. Like if I'm like trying to play a game while I'm doing work and I'm like, oh crap, how did I win? But then otherwise I can't like beat an adventure to save my life for some reason. Um, so I don't know, that's like my kind of relationship with the games is uh, really kind of enjoying it. I'm, I'm more of a narrative type guy, like Mass Effect's one of my favorite games. Xenogears, yeah, Tricoden 2. So which like, one's I'm, your favorite game of all time then? Uh, Tricoden 2, for sure. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, like, old old yeah, PlayStation game, right? Old sprawling RPG, tell me a freaking great story. Um, I'm a huge fan of headquarters systems, like in Dragon Age and Street Code 2. Like, yeah, let me build my massive base. You know, um, those kind of things really work for me. But kind of what you were talking about uh, before, uh, Dreadful, about like the lore and stuff. Like, that's one of the reasons why I'm actually into heroes, because I'm not really into MOBAs otherwise. But like, I'm really into seeing these characters that I love come to life in other ways. Uh, that's why I'm like, yeah, show me the movies, show me the shows, the cutscenes. Like, I'll watch all that. Like, give me all the lore. I'll yeah. You know, well, I'll, I mean, I'll just dip myself in that, yeah. Yeah, because one of the games I've, I wish that they would go back to, and I know it's, it's probably dated now, but Warcraft Adventures, Lord of the Clans. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was. It just it it looks so cool back in the day, and that was what ninety five, ninety eight area. I guess it got canceled ninety eight. I recall and the, the the mid to early 90s were such a great time for games oh, right so good yeah that <laughs> that, that first per, uh i believe it was a first person starcraft uh ghost yeah ghost there's kind of a running joke at, at blizzard the ghost isn't canceled it's just on an indefinite hiatus <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was actually third person for a bit because it was like very stealth focused yeah i was actually pretty excited for that i'm, I'm kind of sad it never came out uh, the games from well, the 
the nineties that I loved the most were probably like the Leisure Suit Larry, the Sam and Max, the um and then earlier than that would be like Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle. I I love those games, man. So like adventure games and stuff? Like really Yeah, yeah, yeah the cool. point and click stuff. Yeah. I oh, when it, it came to that full throttle from LucasArts, that was one of my favorites. I mean and, and they just finally brought them back, remastered. Man, I gotta tell you, I miss old school LucasArts. Right. Oh, yeah. the, the, the guy logo with the yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anything with that logo on it, I'll play it. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah, two of those games y'all just mentioned are on Game Pass. Yeah, well, actually uh what was it uh Grim Fandago, they fixed a bug. There was some some sort of code that you couldn't complete a certain mission or, or you get get stuck in the elevator. So they fixed it on this remaster. Nice. So but hopefully talking about this, maybe Blizzard will uh take our heed of you know fandom and bring out the two games we talked about warcraft and the starcraft ones i have no comment maybe but <laughs> it would take it, i think it would take mountains to move to be able to do anything because you know it takes a lot especially with uh, the publishing arm the marketing arm and and management it's it's definitely not easy because it's such a large company to get things pushed through well making those 90s games now has got to be easy i mean compared to what you know Call of Duty, what the, the technology they're doing now, just remake it a little bit and here you I, go. I can, here's, here's I can tell you for sure the, the biggest problem with Blizzard making games is that they uh, it's never good enough to go out. Like basically every game you've ever played from Blizzard, it was like a compromise for them to release. It just wasn't ready. It was never ready. So I actually like honestly their perfectionism sometimes like I, I'd say like one of the missteps like with pushing War 3 Reforged out before it was ready. They learned a hard lesson about like, you know what, we should have listened to the development team telling us they needed more time. But in general, all the ones that are like they're developing, they're all, they're developing like a ton of like incubation titles, doing the find the fun stuff. And there are some that are like shockingly close to what you're talking about, but whether or not they see the light of day, who knows? Um, you know, I want to go over to NZXT a little bit for you and just talk about uh, specifically what what would you say that your main priority at NZXT is and uh, what is your main focus at NZXT? Uh, well, my main priority, main focus. Um, I mean, I, I can kind of answer that in a couple different ways, but I, I would say like <clears throat> there's kind of like short-term focuses and priorities um, and then kind of longer-term ones. Uh, so... When I look at like very honestly my kind of short term, uh, you know, I, I joined uh, to kind of lead uh, all the design teams at, at uh, MZXT, and that contains the hardware, creative, and brand teams and uh, interactive. Because my title is officially design and brand, uh, VP of design and brand. Does that so include my, the website, or is that just like the um, actual PC, you know, or, uh, uh, cases and we, stuff? Okay. No, no, includes everything. We are. We are uh, we believe very strongly in a centralized design model. So everything you see coming out of NZXT runs through the design and brand team in some way. Um, but for me, the big priority is like, especially when you're you're kind of growing in the way that NZXT has. Even though we're not a new company, uh, it's a lot of the design teams were kind of operating very much as kind of autonomous smaller teams. So to me, it's like kind of growing into a. Um, like a cohesive design team as we get bigger and bigger and starting to tie all those experiences together more. Uh, I think we do a very good job already, but you know, you can always, always have much more synchronization. So 
getting to the point where like the, the experience that you're dealing with NZXT between our software, between our website, between our hardware, like making sure those those experiences are more synchronized and feel more more cohesive together. That's something like a long-term focus. Like very honestly for me, the, the focus right now is I see a lot of my role is making sure that all the designers across NZXT have the the room and the material and the tools to be creative and to work really well. And the output of the design team in NZXT would blow anyone's mind how much they get done with how few people. So the initial uh, kind of operation is getting the, the teams into healthy places and into a structure and growing the team to appropriately match the amount of insane crap that we're doing. I'm gonna say, I almost said shit, but like, we're just doing so much cool stuff. I know that sounds cheesy and whatever, but we're really doing a lot. And it, it all kind of falls into these, these main teams because we're one of the teams that works with everybody throughout the company. Like for the most part, if you're seeing something, we, we probably touched it in some way. And it, that kind of scales beyond just visuals. It's like copywriting. It's uh, what our social media posts look like, what our packaging is, you know, manuals to like how we design the products and stuff like that. There's a lot there. Um, so to me, it's like kind of starting to kind of setting the fundamentals up for the team to grow to a much larger design organization than they are now. Um, so that's kind of short term. And then of course, like to me, longer term, it's about tying all that stuff together. Right now, um, there, there's not enough cohesion between those things. Like uh, if I look at kind of the design quality that we deliver with a lot of our hardware, um, and what we deliver for CAM and across like our website, they're individually good, but they have a lot of places to improve. And, and to me, the, the real mind blowing moment starts unlocking when all these things start working in tandem together cleanly and in a way that really feels good. So there, there's a lot of work to do there. Uh, but to me, that that's kind of like what ultimately I'm trying to look at is like, what is every element of the experience? Like to, to give you an idea, like very honestly, sometimes I will spend my weekends or nights like I, I guarantee you that I have watched almost every unboxing video of an NZXT product that is on YouTube. Because uh, like very, we're very interested in like everything from what is it like to order on the website, to deal with customer service, to pull it out of the box, to order it, to build in the computer or build in the case to turning it on to how it integrates the software, what's onboarding look like. Um, we have a lot of places we can improve. So um, obviously there's a lot of work to be done there, but my 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 job ultimately, even though I don't <laughs> tell all of those different teams how they do their job, I definitely look at it from the perspective of how do we create a great experience for our customers. Um, and I often kind of look at like design. Ultimately, design thinking usually means being customer first. So while everyone it really does care a lot about what our customers have, it, it's generally speaking, design's role to always be like, what's the customer want? What's the need? How are we delivering this? What's the experience we're trying to deliver? Um, I, I think a, a lot of the designers are probably getting tired. Like the amount of times that I say, what success look like? Who, does, who is this for? What are we trying to deliver to them? How does this support our main pillars of design? Does this, does this support the community? Is this high quality design? Is it accessible and simple? Like, you know, those are big pillars of our, our brand and the way that we map them. So again, like kind of a, a, a dodgy kind of all over the place answer to your question, but hopefully it's so, um, one thing I want to say is one of the one of the guys that you uh, recently picked up or worked with is is a good friend of mine, Pope, and I'm so glad to actually mm -hmm. see him be able to put his you know kind of like his art into a real product because we see a lot of fan art from him, but now mm -hmm. to see him actually be able to work for 
a company and get his stuff out there and then you you know whatever you guys do with it um this fantastic so i'm so glad that you actually picked him up as a as a designer to work with i'm just amazed uh i for the longest time everybody was like oh xbox oh playstation you should hire this guy and they would never respond you know and and now all of a sudden uh people are seeing like nzxt designs and pc cases and like wow we can't wait till that comes out wow we want that you know so it's really exciting to see that man well i mean i could tell you like a little bit of the story uh you know i I won't reveal too much about the mystery the mystery of pope but um (laughs) What ended up, like, honestly, the way that it kind of came about was, um, I, like, one of the things, like I said, we're very design-led, like, Johnny, our CEO, his email address is designer in NZXT, so, like, we're, obviously, often, me and him are talking about things, and, uh, you know, what we can do, how we can partner, how we can improve things, and uh, he happened to mention to me, like, hey, have you seen (laughs) this design, Xbox Pope guy? He's like, you know, wouldn't it be great for, like, to work with him or something? I think he said it kind of offhandedly. And I was like, yeah, why not? So uh, I reached out to him on Twitter and stuff. And uh, you, it's not it's not going to be out yet, but we partnered with him on a, uh, a promotional design that, like I said, uh, it's not technically, it's a partnership one with someone else. So I can't tell you what it is, but it will be out eventually. It's a super cool design. But we were kind of working with on that uh, just as a kind of a one-off um like Xbox Pope collaboration. And uh, basically uh, kind of the, the opportunity came up in terms of like talking to them and working with them where uh, I was like, oh, we we would love to like, you know, hire you on full time just because he's a super talented designer. And to be honest with you, we actually work with a number of kind of third parties sometimes to design case wraps or work on craft. I mean, we, do, we ultimately drive all of it internally, but um, it usually takes us a decent amount of time to get designers that like really clock into our aesthetic like they understand the what we call the dna of how we work and uh pope is one of the ones that like picked up on it like instantly like i didn't have to let we didn't me and the and jen the creative director and designers we didn't have to coach him too hard on what he needed to change he wasn't doing a bunch of stuff that was out of character um it was just like almost immediately he picked up on it and he understood it so when, when I kind of, we kind of figured out that there was an opportunity to, to hire him on, I was like, yeah, let's just totally go ahead and do it. Because like, um, we're like, as you, you can see, we actually have a, you know, side promotion. We have a, you know, a wrap, wrap your case kind of promotion going on right now for the holidays. We're raising money for St. Jude. Uh, we do all sorts of things like that where we wrap cases for promotions or, uh, and of course, like we're always working on a number of craft partnerships with game developers and stuff. So um, not to mention like we're, you know, we're always, doing all sorts of, you know, nonsense with uh, treating our, our models differently or, you know, we get to partner with a ton of game developers. So having someone like like Pope that can pick up an aesthetic and understands our aesthetic and can marry them together um, and like really, really is deep in the community and gives a shit about gaming. Uh, that's that's really important for us to like, you know, and uh, and hey, like, you know, it, originally we were kind of joking, like technically we designed the H1 before the Xbox One came out. So he's already been designing our, on top of our, our case designs anyway. So it wasn't too much of a leap to be like, hey, why not design on an H5 or an H7? So super excited to have him though. Yeah, I mean, he does great work. I mean, you could see my background. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this was a custom one that he designed specifically for me. I'm just trying to move out of the way. But yeah, you know, and it's 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 cool to see 
him expand and and get oh. the recognition and you guys also benefiting yep. from I'm his talents so now 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 they got a second anyway. legend not just the first legend sean you know so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh it uh, when it comes to because i was also doing some more research i was looking at now the the, the cam uh software hello now it, we could use that with any pc uh whose idea was that to <laughs> to do that do you know was that something um, uh, I'll, I'll so there are definitely many decisions that predate me so i'll i'll i can only speak to kind of the history of what i what i've learned or know about but um i don't know who who specifically is the idea was was cam and making it accessible but uh, i know that johnny specifically like you'll hear his name a lot because like nzxt has always been his company never took outside investment He's super passionate about the way that it goes, but the general ethos of serving the community really is there. Like, even though, you know, we're always trying to improve it and we do use it to service our own tools. Like, um, there, there is a, there, like, he definitely had this vision of, we want to produce something that is useful to gamers and to the PC community, independent of whether or not, like the way that we tend to usually talk about uh, fans of NZXT is like, you can be a customer of ours, whether or not you've actually purchased from us. Uh, that's why, like, you know, we really heavily invest in, uh, you know, our, our, our Discord server, the NZXT club, and doing a lot of community stuff. Like, very honestly, if you're a fan of NZXT, it doesn't matter if you've purchased from us. We want you to have a good experience. And we want, like, ultimately, our vision and mission are not about getting PC hardware on your desk. It's about PC gamers having a great experience. And uh, we honestly, at some point in the past, I, don't, I wasn't there for this, but we definitely looked at PC monitoring software and the other ones that are kind of on there, and just a lot of uh, a lot of SIs, a lot of developers, uh, a lot of people. Like either you're dealing with open source stuff that's just from the goodness of the hearts of people in the community that are working really hard, or you're dealing with a lot of people that are much more focused on getting hardware on your desk than not. Not to say that they don't produce solid software, but for for us, it's a huge investment area because we want people to have uh, a great experience with it and not have to kind of rely on the open source of it. So. Uh, you know, ultimately we, we're, we're always going to, it's always going to be free. That's a, a vision we talk about all the time. We, you know, cam is meant to be useful for both people that buy our hardware and don't, you know, yeah. and I'm sure Jeff who said hi is one of the product managers on cam. So, uh, I would also like to pimp one of the new features that just came out profile sync. Uh, it's one of my favorite things on there. So, uh, also they just recently released mini mode, which is really cool. So. The profile sync thing is like, cause I'm one of those people that I have like a, a mode for everything. And I like turn my computer like different colors based on, like I have a hero's profile, I have a mass effect profile. So profile sync is one of the features where you can assign it to a time of day or a game or whatever, change your lighting and your, your, your lighting, your fan curves. Uh, so it, obviously it scales up and down with how much hardware you have. But um, even for me, like even right now I switched this to a podcasting profile so that my fans are running at silent instead of performance. So. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Cam, and uh, I'm not going to tell you about any things we're, we're working on for it, but they're they're going to keep it's going to keep getting cooler. But yeah, like I didn't even know about it until we we found out that we were going to interview you, and I was like, how how did I miss this? You know, so it's really cool to see, even even for us that we're supposed to know better, right? And we're still, <laughs> and we're still missing stuff, and, and you know, so that's why I was like, I felt the need to bring it up. Um, mm -hmm. I also noticed. Um, the, the hue lighting that you've integrated with, with it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so it's not, you know, cause how many times we watch people build PCs and they're like, well, 
we have to use this software for this, and then we got to use this software for this because the fans and the lighting we're using it just don't match up. So it's really cool to see the the integration with that too. Mm-hmm. I know so, the, the the cam team has has been looking into that. That's a problem they're constantly trying to solve. Multiple kind of pieces of hardware integrating RGB, but um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I'm I'm sorry. I apologize. My daughter called me in the middle of the. Uh, stream there for a second and try to make it sound urgent and it it wasn't urgent and i muted the zoom mic but not the feed mic so i apologize sometimes technical <laughs> difficulties but i'll fix it on the podcast feed cool i, so, I didn't hear nothing so you should be I good just, i just yep. want to apologize to the yeah, you're all good a- avis said so, he heard it okay, um, okay one thing i wanted to comment on um because i I play uh, some on PC. I might primarily play on console, but I, I have been doing more and more PC gaming. Uh, mm-hmm. But so I don't know all the technical aspects of like what all the different numbers mean. Like for um, okay, like graphics cards and RAM and 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 uh, uh, motherboards and all this stuff, right? Uh, and sometimes for somebody like me, it's intimidating when you go to one of these uh, gaming websites uh, for a PC. And you see all that and you have no idea what you're getting into. Uh, I noticed on y'all's website when I had uh, clicked on it um, recently that uh, it's very simple even for somebody like me to see, okay, this is a good streaming PC. This is a good gaming PC. um, And it seems like it's not intimidating. Is that like a design choice by uh, from you guys to make it more consumer friendly? Or is that just a um, happenstance, I guess? No, 100% intentional. I think I mentioned one of our core pillars around uh, design is simplicity and accessibility. Yeah. Um, we 100% want to make PC gaming more accessible to anybody that wants to get into it. Um, I definitely agree. It's, it's a super intimidating process right now. Like if you're doing your classic kind of PC part picker type of thing, which, you know, for what it is, it's a great website, yeah. but you have to go find the parts make sure they're compatible you have to research you have to go buy them from different places several Uh, people have recommended that site to me but when i go on there i get lost i don't know what i'm looking at you know so it's not it's not for me you know um i I mean i think like we're obviously a you know a more focused brand uh Mm -hmm. and we're really high quality so we don't have as many things but we like in terms of tends to focus on like high quality i definitely think that yeah we want people to PC building is a really fun and rewarding experience. Uh, and I, I think that like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you, people have love life and they have different priorities and they have different price points and everything. And uh, it depends what you want to play. And ultimately, uh, ultimately um, I think that we kind of look at it is if you're able to make gaming part of your life um, in, in some, in some way, then that's kind of what we're here to help with. And, like I said, it's it's not a like it's you know it it is as easy as it is nowadays. It's it's easier than ever to build a PC, but to your point, it's it's still complicated. There's a lot of snafus. Uh, there's a, a lot of learning, especially to configure a PC together. But once you've done it, it, it kind of be, like I said, it becomes something that can really like spark joy for you. Like you know, and especially if you've done it yourself, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's really fun. But like uh, I, I will totally shamelessly admit, the one that's sitting on my desk right now, I had our uh, I asked our build team to build it for me even though there is a tradition in NZXT that every employee must build at least one custom computer themselves. So I um, very shamelessly have not quite done that due to the pandemic and everything like that, but uh, I really like love it. And, and like, I, I, one of those people where 
I really appreciate not having to like, not just like, I know how to, I've of course built PCs for a while. I know how to do it, but um, I'm terrible at cable management and like my PCs don't look good. Uh, our, like our, our builders know what the hell they're doing. And like my PC looks awesome. People are like, wow, like you built that. That looks so good. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I, I can make the lights change and stuff, but like, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything, but I think that there's kind of a, a sliding scale of it, but I, I appreciate that we kind of live in this world now where it used to be that when you bought PCs, like <laughs> the compact for Sario, like half of the stuff was soldered in and trying to like open it kind of sucked. But Nowadays, like it's it's much more flexible to buy one part from one place and buy another, and uh, kind of it, it's kind of up to you if you want to go on that sojourn. Uh, but like I said, I think that for us, making this stuff more accessible and making it easier to get into, like we want more PC gamers. That's what we want. <laughs> we want more PC gamers that are enjoying the community, uh, that you know, that can get into what like it's it's kind of like what level is good for you. Like some people just don't have time to get into building. Some people are just starting out. Some people want to play like, you know, modern warfare at like all the highest settings. Like people, some, some people really care about getting the best FPS and like Valorant or something. It was just a whole variety of people that have different uses. And I think it's for us, it's just, hey, if it, you know, if you want to put gaming into your life and it's important uh, and you know, you want to have it be an experience that sits in a room or on your desk, uh, you know, how do you, how do we, how do we get you into that world? And, you know, how do we help you you know, things like people, some, some people really care stuff, about especially getting... like, you know, newer experiences like streaming, like we're, we're just now looking into like, how do we make streaming easier? It's such a fun experience. It's so collaborative, but it's to your point, same thing with building a PC. Like it's so intimidating to get into it. So for us, it's just constantly trying to find how do we lower the barrier? How do we make it a little easier? Like, you know, these things, you know, there's like, I think there's often kind of like a, a gatekeepy element of it. Like you went through all this stuff. So, you know, it's not as valuable, but I don't, I don't think that we think that's true. It's just, um, you know, how to, like, it's just different strokes for different people. What's, how does it fit into your life and how do we make it easier for you? So we're going to keep doing that for sure. Uh, yeah. we would just... I think it's good. I think, I think, uh, somebody like me, could, you know, would be more likely to buy a PC with the website designed that way it is. Cause it just looks like, okay, I can just purchase this and it's going to work. Right. And I don't have to worry about a, a bunch of other things, you know, but it still feels like it's not a generic thing that you bought at, you know, Best Buy or, you know, uh, whatever. You know. I mean, I, I remember uh, way, way back when I was in like eighth grade, I actually used to one of the first jobs I had is uh, I, I went to a Catholic school and they, people would basically donate a lot of computers and basically everybody didn't really do it out of the goodness of their heart. They always donated a shitty computer that like barely worked. And they were like, Oh yeah, I don't want this anymore. I'll donate it to this, this school slash church. And what I used to do during lunchtime is get all like, look at all those parts and basically see what we could scavenge to put together functional computers that the school could use. And I remember like at that point it was figuring out what these could do. Sometimes like you didn't have a, the right converter cable like sometimes I had one time we had a thing that a dog had peed on it and they do donated it. Like <laughs> we get it working. Could we clean it? Yeah. And I also remember even once you got it working, like getting all the drivers installed and like, it's, it's like one of those things where honestly though, PC building has become so much easier than it used to be. But even now there's still one of the parts goes bad. You got to deal with all the warranties. You got to, you got to get different shipping providers. And of course, nowadays because of the pandemic, it's so in demand, uh, the first problem is finding someone that actually has it. Like, you know, 
if you if you're not like a system integrator or or you're not lucky try getting like a ryzen 9 right now or something like or any of the 30 series cards like um it's just sometimes there's just not enough supply in the world i, I think i went to when i i moved recently and i i um basically was like oh i'm gonna move my monitor myself because i don't trust the movers and then anyway i busted it and i had to go to micro center uh because I needed to work and I was like, well, I need to go get a monitor and I can't wait for it to be delivered. And I, I got there and I was like, oh, what is this freaking line that's wrapping around the store? And it was this just massive line. Of course, they were letting you in and I'm sitting there waiting for them to go get my monitor. I'm kind of watching people go through the, the checkout line. And I, I got to tell you, it was like 98% of the people would get up to the line and then they'd roll over a cart of like a bunch of PC components. And I was like, damn, all these people are building PCs right now. Yeah. Just like, line around the block because i remember like pulling up to micro center and i was like what is going on like is there an event going on it was just like a random friday or something <laughs> and yeah like i said uh, uh i think e even as as it's gotten so much better but there's uh <laughs> still a lot of snafus to it and i think if so, you're someone that doesn't have a lot of time or you, what, know, you don't you don't want to go that deep it's worth you know, what's that right? like for you guys though as as this um pandemic hits you know, you guys obviously were probably going to have to have more restrictions on you guys on what how you manage things and do things um, internally. But also, mm -hmm. at the same time, conversely, the demand increases probably uh, dramatically. I would assume from from uh, wanting your products. So, how does that work at a company like this? Where okay, we have to figure out how to manage what we're doing uh, differently right now and consolidate however but also you need to make more right you need to you need to increase production mm -hmm. you know what i mean um I, I would say that what, what you're talking about is the unsung heroes of nzxt which is the builders in our warehouses yeah um but um basically what what we've generally done as a company is best we can like we have a lot of covid restrictions uh we do weekly testing that kind of thing we, you know we you know, when we detect it, we tend to, we isolate and send people home, we sanitize, whatever. But uh, generally speaking, we've, I, I'd, I'd say that the, the team across the company has done really well in maintaining uh, the, the, the massive demands. I think like the, the biggest thing that hits us is to your point is just getting enough inventory sometimes. Mm -hmm. But even then, uh, I think our operations team does a fantastic job. They, they seem to sometimes pull inventory out of the woodwork like getting a hold of the 30 series cars and the new AMD Radeons and stuff. Like sometimes it's amazing that they can get what they can get, but um, yeah, I mean, you can see that like we, you know, one of our things we're generally known for with build is like the blitz service where we get, you know, your computer out in two days. That's something that we really haven't been able to do. Uh, I mean, every once in a while we're, we're able to get back on track where we have enough time to do it, but generally now with how much demands, you know, we've basically just been giving, giving our builders more time and doing our best to get supply. But I, I think like generally speaking, uh, when the pandemic first hit, yeah, it was rough. Like we had a, we, we had times where we were just out of stuff. Um, but uh, overall, like we generally speaking, just uh, especially during the pandemic, we, we uh, had a number of temporary workers. We hired, I think hundreds of them. And we still have uh, most of, the, most of the, the, the design development support teams that don't support uh, operations or working from home. Just, you know, like me, I haven't been to the office for a while. Um, so, you know, we're, we're you know, kind of doing the best we can there, but I think overall everyone's done a fantastic job. At least everyone at NZFC is super passionate. Um, and I often tell people that like, I actually think it's something that we don't tell enough people about that like when you order from us, 
those are people pulling your parts and building a PC, testing it for you, putting it in the box, shipping it out. Like, you know, these, these things are not done by a machine or whatever. These are yeah. people that are trained in how to build computers and, uh, they're, they're really cool guys and girls. Uh, they have a bunch of anime posters all over the warehouse. Like, uh, so they're just doing the best they can. Like I said, separated work areas, like larger shifts. Uh, we, we check for COVID all the time. So we're doing the best we can, but uh, I think the team's generally done pretty well. And obviously for, for the year, it's been overall good for us, but we've been doing the best we could I'm trying to also support, you know, charities and uh, that are supporting COVID. So like I said, all, all you can do is the best that you can do. Yeah. Y'all, y'all actually have a video of y'all's uh, how to, how y'all build a PC actually on your website, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's a little it's a little dated of a video, but it's more or less what we do. Um, but generally speaking, when I you know when I've been in the headquarters, it's definitely really fun to go see the warehouse guys working, doing their thing. It's uh, and like I said, they can cable manage like I I can't even imagine <laughs> doing it like that. Like I've watched a couple like Jay's Two Cents and uh, uh, like Greg Salazar trying to teach me how to cable manage. I got like halfway through the video and I was like, nope, just gonna have the build team do it. See, that's why I like my nineteen nineties case. <laughs> just shove yeah. it all under the shroud it's totally fine <laughs> can't you know, see it if don't block a fan uh the one thing that i really do like about nzxt from what i've seen and i i i actually don't know a whole lot about nzxt except from what pope has told me except from you know when i see influencers or people in the media talk about nzxt and show off their cases but everything that i've seen NZXT looks very clean, looks very modern, looks very, it just looks very nice. You know, it's not like those, those old days of PC towers where they had like weird grooves and buttons in weird places. And, uh, one thing I still can't stand about my Dell that I have is got a prop, uh, proprietary motherboard and technically it should fit an upgraded i7. Um, but when I went to put in that upgraded i7, even though it has the right slots and uh, the software on the board is not capable of reading the i7 properly. And so many people are upset at Dell for this, that series Inspiron, because it was like a mid-tier gaming PC. And, you know, people like to buy those to upgrade them. But what I'm going to say is, if you're going to go with the company, I'm honestly going to say go with a company like NZXT, because it seems like if somebody wants to upgrade something later on, it's probably a lot easier uh, doing it from MZXT versus like a big company like Dell or IBM. It just, I don't know. It just became a hassle for me because I got an i7 now sitting on the side. Uh, and I don't have a board for So very disappointed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely, the, if you look at uh, our cases, ultimately they're designed as best we can to accommodate any type of part. And if you're ordering from our build service, obviously, um, depending on like whether or not you're ordering custom or um, the ones that we, we pre-build, um, ultimately it's still the same thing. People are pulling parts, they're building them and we're buying parts from all sorts of other manufacturers. We're not just in it to sell you NZXT parts. Obviously we think they're the better ones and they look really nice. Um, but like, you know, to your point, like if you go on build, you're actually pretty unlikely uh, to get an NZXT like motherboard. Cause like, you know, PC building is about finding the right po- components that serve what you need your build to do. It, it seems like it's just such an antithesis to us to like put something proprietary in there. Like, 
I mean, it's obviously one thing to be like, well, obviously you're going to get the absolute best experience by combining our parts and our software. Like that's, you know, every, like that's kind of the, we have control over those things so we can make them go well together. But um, to me, setting out to make something be exclusive, like just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And I think for us, it's, you know, again, we want more PC gamers and more PC builders. We don't necessarily uh, care if you're doing it with all NZXT parts other than obviously we think they're great and we prefer, <laughs> we would, <laughs> we prefer them. And then we think they deliver some of the better, more, you know, aesthetic experiences with a really good, uh, really good performance for what you're getting. So, you know, ultimately more PC gamers. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Pope uh, not that long ago, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, uh, I never really got into uh, PC gaming, although he's like, his son was into PC gaming. And he's like, yeah, now I love my PC, and I play on my PC and, and do all the stuff on my PC. And I'm like, damn, Pope, what would you get? And he's like, oh, I got myself a nice NZXT. It's really cool. And I'm looking at my PC with its 1060 3 GB uh, <laughs> graphics card, and he's like, "Yeah, I can run Rainbow Six smooth. I could, I could play Call of Duty smooth." And I'm like, "60 not go smooth." <laughs> I can tell you that much. Oh man! So I, I, just, I, I, I will not reveal the details, but I happen to know that Pope's PC is a a monster, amazing PC. He is a yeah. fantastic. Yeah, after. Fantastic I, he is now a a living legend of loving the NZXT brand. Uh, and he doesn't even understand his PC. He's just like, it's a beast. That's what he says. Speaking of Rainbow Six, uh, he's not a bad uh, Rainbow Six player either. I have, I have played with the man and his son as well. And he, he's not too shabby. So I am, I am awful at Rainbow Six. Although <laughs> actually um, of, of all the games, um, especially like our uh, creative team, uh, many of them play Siege and are way better at it than me. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm so embarrassingly bad at it that I won't play, but a lot of Rainbow Six fans, which is, I think, is why our Rainbow Six case is so good, because, like, we <laughs> we checked with all the fans internally about how we, like, what we needed to do with it. Yeah, but, they just custom-built uh, a PC around Rainbow Six, because that, that's what they wanted, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's like to me, it's like Rainbow Six is one of those games where, I want to get into it, but I, I often say that you only have enough room for one MOBA in your life. And I feel like shooters are getting that way. Like you get into Rainbow Six and it's just like all the operators and all the roles and stuff. And I was like, I have, t I'm terrible at aiming. Uh, I don't know any of these things. I got to learn the meta. I got to learn about all the operators. I got to keep up with the patches. Uh, you know, I've only got enough room <laughs> for a couple of games in my life. And I, I don't know if I'm, since I'm so bad at shooting, if I should really invest in learning the meta for Rainbow Six Siege, but um, I try. One thing I wanted to ask you was on the design perspective. Uh, do you already have like a set uh, dimensions of your cases, or are your designers responsible for coming up with unique, you know, designs for your cases as well, and then figuring out how the insides of the cases should look, or is it is it like you know like a predetermined size for the case, and then the designers just work on the wraps, or do they do like different things to like expand the case or change where maybe a glass panel might be or how the wiring should be. Does designers work on all that too? Uh, yeah. So um, to, to give kind of like the best way to approach that answer is like, so we do have an industrial design team um, 
And so they're, there's, they're kind of a separate, we call them design pillars. So there's an industrial pillar, a creative and brand pillar and an interactive pillar. And they, each one of those have uh, respective directors um, and then designers on each. So when we're talking about case design, um, that's basically uh, Shin who's been the company for basically as long as Johnny is the director of industrial. And uh, the way that it tends to work is um, it's kind of a back and forth. There are what are called product managers that kind of lead all of our product categories in terms of like market fit, features, competitors, like they do a bunch of work up front to kind of figure out what we should be offering, what's important for the customer. Um, and that generally kicks off a, a concept process for the, the type of product in which um, we go through a couple of things to green light it. But once it gets to that point, then the industrial team does a lot of research. We purchase a lot of competitive products. We evaluate them. We, we look at things, test materials, and they, they eventually will um, working closely with the engineering team. So depending on the product, what tends to happen is that the engineering team will probably will provide um, things like uh, limitations, if you will. So it depends what it is. So certain things, uh, the engineers have to make sure that like a PCBA works a certain way or depending on what we're doing, if it needs to hold up a certain amount of weight or certain things need to be positioned in certain places. And then the industrial team tends to take those requirements from both what the product manager is um, guiding us on terms of what features it needs to have. They tend to recommend generally dimensions and uh, whatnot. So it's kind of a back and forth. So the, the designers do have some flexibility to be like, this is gonna be a glass panel, it'll be this side. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll go back and forth with the engineering team trying to kind of compromise between the visual design that we want to achieve, uh, the feature sets and uh, really work. And the features tend to map to like use cases. So most of our products are very focused on things like flexibility cable management. So we tend to go down and think through what those are going to be. And uh, generally speaking, they'll produce 3D renders and we'll go back and forth with our manufacturers and suppliers to make sure that they're possible to build. And we have a, a, a large portion of the process that requires us to go back and forth getting prototypes. We usually have a design prototype and engineering prototype. And um, so most of the hardware though process is like, we're talking like 12 to 18 month schedules for hardware. Like they, they, they take a long time to develop. So, but generally speaking, if you've used a, used a product, the industrial design team has had a lot of flexibility in um, developing out what the case looks like, what the features are. Um, I would say that like, it also depends how long we've been doing something. Obviously we've been doing cases for a while, it's our sweet spot. So we, we have a lot of flexibility and a lot of knowledge in how to do cases. Um, as we do like newer things or you know we're working on coolers, we sometimes rely a lot on our suppliers to help us guide us on what the best thing is. But ultimately we work together with their engineers, our engineers, uh, our designers to, to come together with a good confluence of features, design, functionality, and engineering, uh, along with like the price that we're trying to hit and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's one of the things that I would figure is a little bit more challenging the PC and the hardware space, because with consoles, it's more or less like, you know, a cycle every 10 years or every 13 years. Uh, but with PCs, there's always new and better parts coming out with you know, every six months, every year, every uh, year, so things like that. And then you guys have to be like on the edge of making sure that you have the top parts for the people that want the top specs and then like a mid tier. Um, so I always found that like a, a unique challenge for PC building and the PC space in general. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, ultimately, uh, that's why we have a you know a decent sized product team. That's why we have product managers in each one of these categories. Most of the ones are all super awesome uh, people. Uh, and usually when you talk to them, they know a ridiculous amount about the category. Like, so when you talk to the, you know, the product manager over like coolers um, versus the product manager over cases, um, they know so much about that category and like what people are looking for and the technical details. And ultimately it's their job to figure out um, what people are looking for in the market, what features, what price point, uh, which ones are served, which ones are underserved. Um, and, but, you know, Gen generally, we, we do still have a, a pretty solid focus on having small amounts of products that, that are very carefully curated. You know, we're not, we're not ever going to have 40 cases or anything like that. So we have to rely a lot on their judgment and curation. Uh, but like I said, every single one of them knows like an insane amount about their category um, to the point where you almost sometimes have to back them off and be like, whoa, our customers might know this, but like, you know so much about it. Like, if I know this much about a category, like the product managers here, <laughs> it's like that. It's like an iceberg of knowledge. Uh, Midway, you still there, or is your mic muted? I wasn't sure if you had any questions. Uh, I'm muted. It's just uh, it's a learning experience for me. I'm more of a console guy. I've never really got on the PC. I mean, the last time I had a PC, uh, I think it was like in the '90s. That was even playable on anything. They uh, remember the last game I really played was uh. Age of Empires 3 and uh, those ID4 Independence Day Interactive Discs. <laughs> I used to be super into Age of Empires 2. Like, I was actually uh, basically competitive in that game. It was uh, one of my favorite RTSs of all time. Never got into 3, though, but 2 was awesome. I did, I did 3, and uh, Warcraft 2 was one of my favorites back in the day. Like, I uh, uh, then after xbox one that was pretty much it for for me in the in the pc area but uh i guess i guess there's like one thing i could like for somebody that is you know in into gaming and you know is i guess you could say uh eclectic in like platforms um you know playstation uh xbox pc what would you what, what what would you say to somebody that was interested in trying to get back into PC gaming? Uh, what would I say to them? Well, uh, first buy an, first first buy an NZXT, obviously. But then after that, <laughs> what, would, what would you tell? Uh, them? Well, uh, so I guess what I would say is, um, I I honestly think like. Uh, I'm I'm really not uh, only into PCs. Like I I'm into all the consoles and stuff. So you just gotta start with the kind of games that you want to play. And obviously, if you care a lot about like not just performance, but really having like a very kind of beautiful, highly controlled version of the game, I always kind of tell people that um, don't go. You don't need to go too crazy. By which I mean, you don't need to buy a three thousand dollar gaming PC to get started. You gotta pick the game. Like this is. Partially why our build service is focused this way, but really like you got to pick the game that you really want to play. And then the beautiful thing about PCs is you you can keep upgrading them and you can switch out individual parts. Uh, it's not like buying, a, I'm going to throw Apple under the bus, even though I love Apple. It's not like buying a, a MacBook or buying a console or basically like when they have a problem with it, they're like, just we'll just give you a new one. Like PCs are super modular. Um, 
So I always tell people like, if you're just starting to get in, like pick, pick a budget you feel really comfortable with. Uh, you know, like I said, you can do your research using like PC part picker, you can do those things. Um, but if you, if you really don't, you know, if you really don't get it, want to get into it, you can go to a, you know, a system integrator like NZXT uh, and get things like pre-built. Like that's why we have a starter band. Like it's still, it's not a cheap PC. Like the way that I look at it is if you don't want to spend, if like, that's why I keep saying like, it's, you know, make it part of your life. Like if you're not going to, you know, build a space around it and try to, you know, really enjoy it. Like it's probably not worth it for you to spend, you know, 700 to a thousand dollars to build, to build a computer and work on it. It's, it's an investment. So you can kind of treat it like that. Like start with the, the things that you know will work, like to your, to your point, like you can kind of find a, a good pre-built, which is always a good start kicking off point. Or if you really want to get into the whole building, there's a ton of great YouTubers and videos that will teach you how to build. And, uh, you know, PC part picker, you can always find like people that have lists of stuff and whatever. It just kind of depends on your investment. But I always tell people, figure out the games you want to play, figure out your budget, figure out how much work you want to put in. And then, uh, you know, once you know those things, then you can kind of, uh, it, like I said, if you want to put in a ton of work, do your PC part picker research, buy things off of Newegg and Amazon and Micro Center. Um, or if you if you don't want, you can go to a place like NZXT and get a, a pre-built. So it's not going to be the, the most, you know, baller gaming PC you've ever seen, but everything we offer is tuned for gaming. Uh, we've benchmarked it against these different games. It's a good starting point. And none of those things are <laughs> proprietary or soldered in. It's going to be cable managed. Uh, you get like a two-year warranty. So like, yeah, you, you go in, you can start replacing parts. Um, what I always tend to tell people is like, you generally, you kind of asked about the, do you build the case around it or the case first? Like you probably want to start with the things that are going to have the biggest impact to the experience you want to have. Like for most games, the GPU is kind of the big driver as to like, I, I, I have, one of my stories is um, way back, I was super excited to play uh, SWOTOR like when it first came out. And I had like a pretty decent computer. I, I bought one uh, from uh, Alienware at the time, back when they were like, you know, not as Dell-like and they were kind of still separated. And I, I had like what I thought was a pretty like, you know, fancy, fancy ass computer, like it was like $2,000. I think I paid it down or whatever. And I put in, I installed Swotram all over and played it. And I was like, man, this looks like garbage. Why does this game look so bad? I thought it was going to be amazing, all these screenshots. And then I did like a little bit of research, like why does Swotor look bad? Someone was like, well, what kind of graphics card do you have? And I was like, oh, whatever, the, the Intel something. And they're like, no, 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 you and whatever. So I basically went to Best Buy and I was like, give me the most expensive <laughs> GPU that you have. Because at the time I, I knew about PC building, but I didn't know much about that. And I, um, I got a 1080 Ti at the time, which was like the most expensive graphics card I ever had plugged it in and I was able to go up from low settings all the way to ultra. Uh, and then even though it's an MMO, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, Oh, this was really cool. So like you can kind of start with that kind of stuff. Like the GPU is a big deal. Uh, the processors, you know, need to be good enough. It's a big deal. Uh, and then like, if you're like me, like a designer where you're using Photoshop and after effects and nonsense all the time, uh, you need a ton of Ram. So I was like, yes, max out all of the Ram, uh, and then I'm also one of these people where I like to keep like all my Dropbox and all my games. So I'm just like, uh, they're like, how much hard drive space do you want? And I'm like, well, how many hard drives will fit in my computer? So the end of that story is I have um, six terabytes on this computer. I have multiple SSDs because <laughs> uh, nice. I'm because I'm I'm an absolute monster of just saving stuff. But ultimately, like I said, all these things are kind of to say like you got to really figure out what experience you want, what you want to spend. But I always tell people 
start off with the game you want to play and how much you want to spend and then uh uh you know go to go to youtube and like people like jay's two cents greg salazar um linus super accessible guys that will go everywhere from like all right we're going to cable manage this thing like in real time to like let me talk to you about that part so it's it's super easy to get into but i don't know it's a super long answer to your question but hopefully it's helpful i'm gonna oh, add good. another I, one for I, Go I'm ahead, add go another ahead. one. Sorry, uh, Paul's Hardware. That's another good one. Yep. Okay. Um, and follow up to that. Okay. So, you know, the a console generation is seven to you know just being ballparking here, like you know, let's say six to nine years, right? Um. So for someone to keep up maintenance on their PC and to have a, uh, let's just say, uh. Uh, like a middle settings experience of their on their computer, how often would you say that they would have to switch out a GPU slash CPU or something in the, along those lines just to try to keep quote unquote relevant to play their games? Um, honestly, I, I feel like a lot of PC hardware actually has like most of them have like 10 year, five year warranties on them and stuff, but um most PC components overall, graphics cards, cases, whatever, are usually on about two-year refresh cycles, give or take. So I would say that if you want to be cutting edge, like you want to be like all the, the, you know, the new hotness and everything, you're about on a two-year cycle. That's about when NVIDIA and AMD tend to drop their stuff about every two years. Because um, like, as I mentioned, like developing out hardware is about a 12 to 14-month affair. Uh, on a good day, a good year, whatever. So these things are being developed out that far in the future. And it's, you know, it's not usually worthwhile to develop something out every year because basically you're starting on the thing as soon as you ship the next one. And you're not able to learn about the material and what the customers are doing and what's going wrong and whatnot. So two years is probably about there, but it's different for every part. Like I said, GPUs tend to come out about every two years. And as you've looked with like the 30X cards and the AMD cards, they tend to be dramatic increases in performance whereas things like processors you can get away with like um like you can have like you know a 10th gen or something or now but you can get away with having like an i5 or something and still do fine uh things like ram don't change as much um so those are probably more like on a five-year cycle for the most part like as long as your wattage and your efficiency rating is good on your psu those things will last you forever in a day like most psus come default with a 10-year warranty um so like, yeah, it just kind of, you got to kind of look at the, the parts overall, but yeah, generally speaking, you should, you should not be switching out parts more often than two years. Um, and a lot of them will seriously last you much longer. Like, honestly, I know people that are using like 1070 and 1080s uh, NVIDIA cards that are still having a fantastic experience gaming, uh, even though you can get like a, you know, a 3080, which is like nine times the, the, the power and performance, uh, you know, and like nonsense, like ray tracing and RTX and stuff like that. Just, I guess, matters what kind of experience you want. Things like fans also last a pretty long time. Uh, and generally speaking, so, if you're getting like pretty high quality parts, they will they will also, like, so that's why all of our stuff has at least a two-year warranty on it. You should expect any piece of hardware to last at least that long and probably more. Uh, building PCs is uh, kind of like, it can be, you know, intimidating if you don't have the correct information. But uh, yeah, thank you for your question. Thank you for your answers. I'm sure. Uh, I do have a uh, two questions uh, on your 
your Kraken series, uh, we know that there's a limitation on the the fluid inside. Uh, is there like a recommendation? Because I didn't see it uh, on you know changing them out for your your radiators. Or uh, what do you mean? Like you mean like when to change out a yeah AIO or no? Just uh, the, I mean, the, the the fluid. Uh, I'm I'm not really aware that we we really recommend changing out the fluid. Like they're closed systems, they tend to work pretty well. Oh, so, okay. uh, and I would say by the time you're getting to a point, like honestly, like a an AIO should last you like you know two to five years easily, probably more like five years. And I think by the time you're going to want to switch out like a fluid or something like that, you should just be replacing it. Um, okay, because uh, uh, like, just to, just to keep just to clarify, like. I don't know very much about like custom water cooled lines and stuff like that. Like you're doing your own loops and stuff. That's an entire other thing. We only sell um, closed AIOs. Like, you know, so generally speaking, you shouldn't have to mess with the fluid at all. Okay. Um, so the other one is, you know, you guys, you guys have a pretty cool looking um, uh, 490. How come we don't have any 570s or 550s? What's, what's wrong with AMD? Um, I mean, I'm just, uh, it's uh, honestly, it's just, it's usually just supply and like, uh, our, our product managers on build kind of choose which things we stock and which things we, we hold. Um, okay. so <laughs> there's no, there's no problem. We're, we're a big fan of AMD. Um, okay. a lot of times it, it's just kind of a combination of forecasting how much demand will there be? How much do we need to keep in stock? Is, is this compatible with a lot of times it mostly comes down to what are the other parts that we keep in stock? Um, and, and like, to be honest with you at the scale that we, we work at a lot of times it's making sure that we, we supply or we provide a part that we know that we can actually get at scale. Um, okay. you'd be surprised how many things it's like, like th this actually is sometimes a problem with like Ryzen processors. Like we would love to put like a Ryzen seven and a Ryzen nine and a bunch of stuff, but like, good luck getting one or at least getting one at the scale that we need to get them at. So sometimes, especially with pre-builds, we make choices, um, as best we can based on, you know, generally with, with a pre-built system, as an example, we want you to be able to order it and get it like shipped out the next day. And that means that we have to know that the parts are available. <laughs> so um, generally speaking, it's, it's really more about that and less about whether or not we think the part is good. Okay. Yeah. I was just, because I was looking at it and I was like, I, I looked at it before and I was like, okay, you know, the pre-built's got, you know, Intel. It didn't, it didn't even dawn on me that that's the only board you offered until tonight and I was looking at it, you know, just piecing my PC together and I'm like, wait a second, I don't see what I'm looking for, but mm -hmm. th uh, that's good to know. It's, it's well, yet again, it's, it's something that is, if you're going to offer it, you got to be able to provide it. And, and I will say that something that's also worth noting, and this is part of like how we achieve the, the timelines that we do in terms of like getting stuff out to people quickly is based on when you go on the website, you're going to see different products because we're only going to show you products that we have in stock. Um, so, cause like, we don't want people having an experience where they, you know, they, they get all excited, they build a system and then we have to come back and say, oh, sorry, we sold you a piece, you know, a component we don't have. So a lot of times, especially like with uh, third-party components, obviously like we know a lot more about our own, our own supply than others, but sometimes it's just a matter of um, what we can get a hold of. So to your point, like we might actually have some of those in stock and we might have them on the site when we have them. So as an example, like with custom ones, we want to make sure that you get the part that you picked and that we're providing you parts that are compatible with each other. So we don't try to stock a lot of parts because we also benchmark these, we test them. 
so we want to make sure that we we have uh, a small enough amount of parts that we can we can generally speaking guarantee the the FPS. We can guarantee that they've been tested. We know that they will work well together. Um, and then like with pre-built, like I said, those are a little bit more like you're generally paying more for the price point and the performance target. So we take a little bit more carte blanche with switching out parts that we have on hand. So generally speaking, what's on the website is correct. Um, but like, you know, it, it, it's so much of the industry comes down to supply, especially now when it's so in demand. So that, like, that's kind of the best that I can tell you. We do the best we can. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've, I've looked at everything. I've, I looked at the cases before and kind of, Eh, you know, I'm not sure. And, and going back to Amazon, because, you know, trying to be, you know, very, very frugal with with the uh, what you buy, you know, and but even, even tonight I'm going back and I'm like, I'm going back to the same cases. And it's like, I, I do like some of these. Um, which which one was that I was just looking at? I was looking at the. Oh, man, I just had it here, too. Oh, here it is. No, no, that's not the one. Uh Sorry for slowing it down here. Where'd it go? Uh, while you're looking that up, um, I just want to say I was looking at your site, NZXT, as well, uh, while you guys were talking. And one thing that I think is really cool and that most people probably don't even realize when they think of NZXT, uh, without, you know, some people probably don't even go to the site because they, they can't afford NZXT or something. But you guys offer uh, payment plans through a third party as well um that has zero percent apr if if people qualify and i think that's really cool because i i don't think a lot of people know about that yeah we do it through a firm um and uh we're, we've definitely been looking into different ways to make it affordable but as of right now that's one where they handle a lot of the uh you know a firm is pretty common uh kind of um uh supplier in terms of someone that can help with you know, finance and stuff like that. And they have all the systems built in. So we're always looking for, for stuff to make it more affordable. Like I would say that our, our price points to your point, like they're not, they're not intended to be not again enough to call it Apple. They're not trying to be expensive for the sake of it. We, we try to price them at a point where we're providing you very high quality. We hope, you know, we're, we're targeting things that'll be, that'll last a long time. We use a lot of like, you know, tempered glass and steel and stuff. So they're not, they're not going to be the cheapest thing in the world, but they're meant to be very high quality. They will last a longer time. So we're always trying to make it more accessible, but it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, making it the cheapest it can be. So we, we try to strike a balance. And oftentimes we'll try to introduce things like, for instance, the, the Kraken M series is meant to be a more accessible price point for the, the Kraken line that we have. So we, we do try to sometimes offer things, same thing with the starter PC. We try to, you know, see if we can hit the quality bar that we we want to hit, but also offer it at a more affordable price point. But ultimately we're not trying to be cheap. We're trying to be good. <laughs> you can't always have both. Well, the, when I was looking at this too, one thing that I find amazing and I can't, I can only talk about my experience, right? Cause the most recent PC I got was from uh, Dell and Ironically, my 1060 through Dell uh, is priced the same as your starter PC that comes with a, a significantly better graphics card. Uh, and your boards aren't at, your parts aren't as proprietary like Dell is, where they intentionally leave software out so I can't upgrade my chip, which really upsets me. Uh, but. I think this is fantastic that I'm looking at this now and I'm like, wow, I wish I would have known about NZXT when I got my Dell PC because I would have had an NZXT nice looking case. I would have had something that I could upgrade later on 
and starting out with the better graphics card as well. Same price too. This is crazy. I, I did not know about NZXT when I got my Dell. Yes, I'm actually loving the uh, H710i. That's the one I'm loving. Black and red. You, you, you got a lot of beefy stuff to put in there. It's a decent sized case. So. Oh, I'm going to build a desk around it. <laughs> cool. I, I have a, on my desk, I have an H510 Elite just because I like the the, the full size glass panel. Like I'm all about the <laughs> more about the bling than I am about the performance, but um, I'm a bit, I'm a big fan of, uh, of arcade design stuff, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to remember, I, I'm, I'm also the one that's pushing the uh, four foot tall like 1990s tower on wheels. <laughs> Keep that. It'll be worth some money someday. <laughs> if it doesn't dry rot. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Rustoleum will be good. That, that that was my sleeper case. My wife looks at me. She's like, "What are you going to do with that?" I'm like, "That's gonna I'm going to build everything inside there, and then you know, ta-da! Here's my here's my PC, and everybody's going to laugh at it, and you know, <laughs> ha ha ha! It's a sleeper." And she's like, "No, no, get one of those glass cases." <laughs> well, um, also while I'm looking at your cases, actually, there there's quite a few in here that I think. Are really cool i like the look of the h1 case how it, it builds up i think that's really awesome i like the fact that you have i think it's really cool that you have a ninja branded case as well i think that's really fantastic and then uh, the h7 case uh which is a lot better than the case i just bought and it's on sale <laughs> as well on your website that i mean it's just crazy i People, you need to know about NZXT. You need to check it out. It's a really cool site, really cool parts, really cool people. Um, just, I mean, you could tell that the company really wants clean quality products out there. Uh, something that people could be proud of. I, I can also uh, tell y'all, even though it's we don't really put it anywhere, uh, the H-series cases, um, the H actually originally meant hush because we wanted it to, it's such a toned down, restrained design. Um, like I said, that's uh, something that I think kind of speaks to the general aesthetic that we, we always have, which is uh, very restrained. Uh, we talk a lot about blank canvas. Um, we really want our cases to kind of be, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why uh, I think originally back when it wasn't cool to do, we'd come up with white cases as, uh, you know, very clean lines, very open to kind of what you want to do with it. You know, they can really scale to whatever you want to customize. but. Uh, to me, like, I, I kind of like, well, to me, that, that kind of stuff is is exactly the kind of design aesthetic that I like, um, kind of drew me to the company. Actually, when I was uh, considering joining, one of the things that convinced me to join the company was actually seeing a case in person. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think our photos are great and our models are great, but it, it, until you've seen it in person and see, like, the quality of uh, the steel, like, for me, it was the, uh, we use a lot of... Um, other cases, stealth logos, where we're basically printing the logo in the same color that it's already on. And to me, like seeing like the, the steel with um, the NCXT logo printed in like white on it, like you can barely see it. Uh, to me, I was like, oh yeah, that like that kind of was like the, the, the quality is, is very clear. And I'm not just like, not just like bragging about the quality, like it's something where uh, we spend a lot of time on the material. And uh, I think that, um, it's it's hard to capture it in a photo. Sometimes we try to like zoom in because we also use like a uh, like kind of a dust coat on it to create that really nice like tempered feel to it. 
it really lasts long. And it's like, it's that kind of detail that um, even I didn't like really appreciate as much until I started working in NZXT and was really starting to look at like how, how much time we spend on what the material is and how it feels and how it looks and how, how, how long it takes to develop hardware. Cause I, you, you guys heard most of my career is not in hardware. It's in, uh, in software and interactive and print and stuff like that. So uh, even though I've PC built my whole life, this has still been a learning experience for me. One, one thing I keep going back to on your website is the uh, puck. Um, it, so are y'all planning on doing more like accessories like this? Cause that thing's pretty cool, man. It's uh, I think I need one. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, obviously we, we are always planning accessories usually, you know, along with different things, but in terms of uh, the puck, I don't, I don't, I don't have any like, particular plans to share. Uh, mostly what we do with the puck is we, we turn it into Pushy, which is, you know, our social media, uh, mascot these i have one i have a plush of him right there oh really <laughs> yeah he's he's basically uh or actually uh i've been kind of we've been kind of talking about is it is it a he or is there multiple ones so we've decided that uh or at least i, I my headcanon is that pushy is actually a species of puck <laughs> and there are there are men there are women there are mothers there are fathers and whatnot um but like ultimately that's yeah uh puck is just like and also if you look at our craft cases we have a ton of fun because we always try to design different different pucks because they're they're basically like headsets headset holders or, or cable managers so yeah um we we always try to do really really like fun insane stuff um uh usually like when you get a craft case you're not just getting the case you're getting like a charm and a puck to go along with it uh, right. so we always try to have a lot of fun with that i think we've discussed many times about just like selling pucks separately but uh sometimes you know especially the custom ones that we design uh sometimes it isn't you know we can't make it at a price point that we think is fair because like so even though like we're not the cheapest in the world you know we don't want to sell you a, a you know a puck that's like you know a hundred dollars or something so we right. have to make sure that it makes sense to produce at scale and everything like that so that's why we usually tend to attach them to the craft cases because those are you know relatively expensive but you're getting a limited edition with uh some very very uh, carefully crafted work that's why it's called craft <laughs> but uh yeah i'm a fan of the puck for sure i actually like I, I have one on my my case but i don't actually use it i just think it looks nice by itself yeah so. well it kind of like it's intuitive you know it's a, a intuitive design which kind of leads to uh i think the design on the the look of the cases also where it's kind of sleek and clean uh, but it makes sense and it looks like it's what was made with good materials, right? Yeah. It, it's actually, uh, I don't know the, the entire story behind it, but it's actually inspired by a couple of our other cable management approaches. If um, uh, if you look at um, the backside of, um, I don't know if it's in both, but it's definitely in the H510. We actually have like a little puck that's right there, right around along where the cords uh, are pulled back into the, the kind of the subway mass okay. style channels. And there's a little cable manager there that's like basically that. And so uh, my understanding, if I'm re repeating a portion of the story correctly, is that um, we were putting kind of those in the cases for wrapping the cable and stuff. And then they eventually evolved it into a, a magnetic, uh, you know, kind of plastic design for headphones and stuff like that. But that um, it's very much like we didn't just come out of it with nowhere. We actually built it off of our cable management designs. Uh, yeah, cool, man. We actually got several questions in the chat that people were asking. So I'm going to go to Infinite first. He has uh, kind of like two questions that go together. Uh, one is he asks what sets NZXT apart from your competition. And two, who does NZXT consider competitors? Uh, 
what sets us apart from our competition? I mean, uh, like I said, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I always go back to like, what are our, our ultimate like design pillars and stuff. It's the focus on community. It's the focus on design and quality, and it's the focus on simple, simple, uh, seamless to kind of accessible design. So like ultimately, like it depends kind of what you want. I think, uh, a lot of what I would consider our competitors definitely have high quality products. Um, you, you generally want to come to us if you want like a really kind of clean, clean aesthetic. Um, we're, we're design, our designs are very restrained. Like we, to the point you were making, we don't put a lot of extra shapes on there. Uh, we have a, a design DNA language that's very intentional. We, we use the word intentional around the, the office and in calls a lot. Um, what you're looking at a design is like, it, it's very minimal, but it's very intentional. And you can't really get away with a minimal design if you're not very careful about the details. And so it actually takes us a lot of pushing back and restraint to not add additional complexity. And most of our design work is very functional. So like even our well-known kind of like circular mesh designs, one of the rule sets around using the mesh is that it's always gotta be functional. We don't just put mesh on something um, to put a mesh on there. We, we, it, it always needs to be assisting things. So you're, you're gonna get very carefully considered design, but it's, it's ultimately, it's gotta be about uh, whether or not it fits the aesthetic you're trying to go for. Obviously with our, our CAM software, we try to make it very accessible to customize the, the pieces. And we, we try to offer most things with uh, like RGB. But uh, to me, like it's, it, it still kind of comes down to, uh, I, I talk a lot about the, the NCXT spice, like whenever we're talking about something, we always talk about, hey, why is NZXT doing this? Like, what, like, so we're not going to do everything under the stars, right? Like, we're going to make intentional choices. I mentioned something that I really enjoy about our strategy is that we make very focused lines of products. We don't, we don't offer forty cases. We offer the H series of cases, um, and basically, if you look at our case line, they the H one to the H seven is basically going up in size. Uh, I, I don't think it's this way anymore, but originally that number referred to the PCIe slots. Um, and then the number behind it, the one, is the generation of case. This is our second iteration or the first generation of the new H series. So it's like it's one of those things where same thing with the Kraken. We don't offer a whole mess of AIOs. We offer the Kraken, and then there's a variety of different things. Same thing with our, our air fans. Like for us, it's about focus, and it's about a kind of like this marrying of aesthetics and performance. Like uh, everything that we produce is not going to have like probably the best performance absolutely in the world like you're probably going to find better benchmarks but if you want a combination of aesthetics and performance at the same time and you want a lot of control and a lot of like that blank canvas effect where um again like very high focus on quality materials like like i said before we use a lot of tempered glass and steel um you're not going to get an nzxt product that's using cheap plastic or anything like that like we're very thoughtful around the the materials that we use and stuff so at the end of the day, um, I always tell people that that's what you're getting with NZXT is like the design focus and then ultimately the focus on community and the combination of what we do that with Cam. Like we don't see ourselves as just hardware. We, we see it as community software services like build. We're, you know, we're ultimately going to bring, bring that to you. And then I'd say to the, um, so the, <laughs> the other question was like, who do we see as our competitors? Um, I mean, obviously like uh, companies like Razer and Corsair are, are generally considered competitors, but I would say like, we don't really talk all that much about like, how are we competing in, in this role as, as much? Like something that I, I think is very similar to Blizzard as, as what I like about NZXT is that we're, we're mostly kind of playing our own game, to be honest with you. 
like obviously we're selling things that other people can buy from other companies but um and the reason i say that is like blizzard people are like oh what about do you have like a rivalry with riot and it's like no we're all game developers here we're all doing our own thing and if people you know we happen to create you know competitive products uh, i mean i can i can show you right now i'm using a razor mouse like um you know I'm, I'm a fan of it. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a drop, a drop keyboard. Uh, so like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, like I said, gaming companies like Corsair, Alienware, Razer, sure. But like at the end of the day, we're going to produce something because we think it's going to be valuable for gamers and for, for our customers. We're not really like, we're not really chasing other people about what, you know, what we think they do. Like I said, we're big fans of a lot of the other uh, competitors in the industry. We use a lot of their products. We talk to them, you know, it's actually something that I like about the game industry at large is that I think people perceive a lot of like rivalries, but in general, game developers are all friends. It's such a small industry. Um, everyone's doing their best to make great games. And if you look really closely at it, you won't see a lot of rivalries. Like we're all just trying to, you know, there's enough room for everybody in the industry to produce great, great equipment. And uh, the demand for PC gaming is high. And uh, the, the biggest limitations are supply sometimes and kind of finding what you want out of a PC. So you know, enough to go around. Yeah, I, I just want to add on to that. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, people perceive the marketing department, you know, because marketing departments make those fancy commercials and come up with the slogans like, uh, what was it? Uh, Nintendo does what Sega can or something. Uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. In the, 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 the Nintendo. The Nintendo don't. Yeah, okay. They, yeah, and people receive that as like, oh, well, these developers must hate each other because one works for Microsoft, one works for Sony, for party, and it, they don't realize at the end of the day, a lot of these developers from multiple different companies all hang out, they all, like, talk to each other, they might go from a Sony studio to a Microsoft studio to a, a Blizzard Activision studio. It's like, they all talk, they're all friends. It's not like... It, there's just too many, I think, on Twitter these days, too many toxic warriors that don't even understand um, that developers are not marketers. <laughs> They're all friends. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah. just a hard thing to explain to some people these days. It, it's, it's also, you got to remember, uh, networking. That's part of, you know, uh, if you want to go to this other company and you're an asshat, and, and <laughs> you, you, no one's going to want to hire you at the next company. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's part of the networking. It, it's, you gotta, and that's, that's what these guys don't remember. And it's, it's great. I mean, am I wrong? You're on this side of me. Am I wrong with what I'm saying? Part of it is networking. Part of it is actually being a human being and, and, mm -hmm. you know, building friendships. It's not just, Oh, I'm going to use this guy to, to boost me. It's, it's the build the friendship, which ends up boosting you. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, and like I said, you, you see it, like even you mentioned uh, Mike Yavar before, like uh, he joined Blizzard uh, a bit before I left. He was my, he was technically my boss's boss. Super nice guy. Everyone was really excited to have his experience. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's just, a, it's relatively small industry. What like, we have a bunch of people working for NZXT that have worked for Corsair and Razer and, uh, you know, Dell and Alienware, like, you know, it's, these are all, you know, this, this, this is a lot of specialized experience and you have to really care about it. So there's just like, there's not a giant like pool of people that um, have invested that much in the industry. So to your point, like, yeah, most everybody I know has been at least like at one or two different game developers. They're usually at a number of different system integrators. It's just, you know, 
when you're and also when you need to go look for a job, like um, to your point, you, you gotta be great. You gotta be good to work with. You have to have the, you can't have an agenda because people are gonna find out about it. Like they're gonna call their friends. Uh, I still talk to most everybody I work with at Blizzard. Um, you know, so it's a, you know, things come back around to you. So there's, there's a lot of karma within the industry for sure. Um, we do have another question in the chat. Uh, Husk asks, do you have any plans to expand into other markets or other segments of the PC space? Uh, I mean, <laughs> without saying things I can't, uh, I'll say yes. <laughs> but um, uh, I'll have to, I'll have to um, ch chillax a little bit on telling you exactly what we're going to expand to, but uh, yes. Husk, he's bringing LifeX instead of Hugh. I'm kidding. Um, well, I know that we're, we're past the two hour mark by a little bit. So if anybody on the panel has any like final questions for Sean, cause I don't want to keep him sitting in the chair too long and he gets uncomfortable and I feel bad. So, yeah, uh, no, I, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. You know, it's, uh, awesome to have uh, somebody with, that has so much different experience with all these different, uh, things that you've done in the gaming industry. So to hop on a show like this is pretty awesome to help us uh, learn a little bit about you and the company that you're working for now. Sure. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to double up on that too. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's great to learn uh, the history behind people, you know, where they, they came from and how they've grown and, and to where they are at now. So thank you for, you know, letting us see that side of you that you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to see, and understand where you know you didn't just pop in there and get this job and there you go it just happened you know you you worked for it and you earned it so it's it's good to see that you know perseverance and adaption get you to certain places you know uh so thank you for for your time um hopefully maybe one day we'll do some breaking bread with dread <laughs> so well we'll explain what that means um one real quick question before we end the, the interview is that Infinite asks, what segment uh, does NZXT market to or whom are their key demographic when marketing products? Uh, I mean, it's it's not a specific, I wouldn't say it's a specific segment, but the, like, the, the real answer for us is uh, we want to be accessible to anyone that considers themselves a gamer, especially a PC gamer. Uh, I would say that if you look at it, look at our, our general products, that um, most of our customers kind of fall into two big demographics right now, which is either people that are PC building enthusiasts that know a ton about what they're doing and are interested in using, you know, components and building out a system. And the other segment of people is that, uh, you know, people that want to take PC gaming seriously, but, you know, maybe not as seriously as to, go build their own system and do all the research, um, you know, um, but like, you know, to, to us, like ultimately in terms of like targeting and other things like the, you know, like I said, it's, uh, we ultimately, it's about inclusion, like people in the gaming community very much like, Hey, if you like, do you want BC gaming to be part of your life? You want, you want to make an investment in gaming? Like that's, those are the people that we're ultimately targeting. And it obviously changes, uh, you know, per product what we're doing, but like ultimately that doesn't vacillate too much. Uh, I often say that I think that um, we exist at kind of the intersection of aesthetics and performance. Uh, you know, your 
you know, if you want something that's that's highly performant and hits all of the perfect specs and has the 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 best temps and airflow, like uh, you know, there's there's probably better cases that are not going to look that great, but might do it well. Uh, you know, if you look at like our products, like our motherboard, for instance, like our motherboard is entirely designed. It's a solid, you know, Intel Z490 board, but it's got like a ton of RGB headers. It's got like an armor plate on it to make it nice and clean. Like ultimately intersection of aesthetics and performance. So like that's what I always tell people is like our kind of demographic is, I wouldn't say it's quite like mainstream gamers, but it's it's definitely kind of in that that point of like you're you're interested enough to uh, invest in PCs as part of you know part of your desk or part of your life or whatever. Um, but you know there's a variability as to how much. I I've actually compared it weirdly enough to like scuba diving. So like anybody can go scuba diving. You can go rent gear. Maybe you won't, maybe some people own like a snorkel or, or fins or something like that. And then other people they it's a part of it's it's an entire part of their life they own thousands of dollars of gear they own their own wetsuit their own tanks uh they they go on dives by themselves or they go on vacation just to go dive you know like there's a you know what makes you a scuba diver all of those things do it's the same thing in, in our mind like with gaming and pc gaming is like uh you could you could be you know someone that just owns the snorkel or the fins you could be someone that like literally you know makes your put your own tanks together maintenances them has all of the gear it's just kind of the level of of you know that's why I, I go back to that idea of like why i love lifestyle brands is like you know you're 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 choosing to make it a part of uh your experience you know you're you're investing your time in that that hobby or that experience versus something else and that's generally speaking where we're going out we're ultimately trying to breach all of those people uh and then infinite just wants to let you guys know that he just purchased PC uh, over 1K after taxes, but next year his daughter's gonna want one, so he's going to NZXT for his daughter's PC. Cool, glad to hear that. Well, we will that's, welcome that you. That starter then. pro looks good. It does, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm like picking up the cases. Yeah, we're all shopping now. <laughs> I'm literally shopping everything <laughs> but motherboards because I can't get what I want, but uh, I, I, everything else is like. Holy cow, you know. I actually, uh, not, not that I do it a ton, but when I when I try to send uh, gifts to friends of mine that are not that into it, but they want to get PC gaming, uh, I've actually personally purchased like a number of Starker Pros and Starker Pluses for a lot of my friends uh, or, you know, family members or uh, whatnot. And uh, like I said, the, you know, it's not going to give you the same experience as like a $4,000 PC, but I, I mean, I, I really like seriously believe that like, everything we have uh, on our website and like what we offer like is very carefully tuned to give you like a really great experience for the price point, you know, along with like, uh, and I, I keep saying the warranty, like I'm making a sales call or something, but like, uh, I don't know if any, like y'all were talking about, like, we're talking about building PCs, but like the, the, the not funness of having like nine different computer parts that are all from different manufacturers and different channels and stuff. And it, like, obviously we sell on Amazon and Best Buy and Micro Center, but uh, you know, ultimately when you're buying straight from us, like rolling all of that up into our warranty and then also offering like uh, our customer service again, um, something that I really love about both Blizzard and Hotel Tonight where I worked is like all of our customer services in-house. We don't outsource it at all. Those are employees. They're nice. treated like NZXT employees. A lot of them are based in city of industry. Um, it, it's, it seems like a small thing, but I've noticed that companies that actually treat customer service like a part of their company and like employees 
they pass that that love along to you. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of our customer service team as well. Um, and I think those are all like, you know, ultimately, you know, ultimately benefits that you kind of get under the hood with it. But uh, I, I, th- I, I, I honestly think, uh, especially for uh, people that are get, getting into it or if you're, you're younger or something, like I think it's a really good hobby. Um, it's like, it's, it's very, it's very like, um, it's, it's very, uh, what's the word I'm kind of thinking? Like I said, to me, it like kind of sparks joy, like just looking at what you've created, like there's a lot of achievement in it. And then also once you've been like, oh, I built this, then you can go play a video game as well. And uh, you have a lot of control and tuning. It's just, I don't know, it's a, uh, to, to me, like the gaming sphere has just got so much to offer. Like I'm actually really, really excited that it's, it's like over the last few years really be- becoming less of a niche thing. Like obviously the gaming industry is bigger than the movie industry and stuff like that. But the, the, the point we're getting to where, you know, you know, um, I worked a lot on like esports stuff and my parents and a lot of like friends that have kids, like they very much went from the whole like, oh, playing games, roster game, your, your minds and you shouldn't do that. And it's, it's not, not say, you know, it's, it's a niche thing to do. You don't be a nerd to like, now it's like everybody is, is a gamer. It's, it's really, really cool to be, to be a gamer. It's a massive industry there's so much stuff to get into you can you can play it on all sorts of different things there's so many different levels of experience you can have like it's super enriching for kids and it's like a really great uh you know there's basically like not a lot of negatives as long as you kind of stay away from people that that try to be high and mighty about it um you know but but i really think that uh, that overall there's far more people that just want you to have a great time in gaming than there are that want to be you know toxic yeah, I think the toxic people don't even really play games. I think they just spend most of their time <laughs> trying to cause an argument than actually playing a game. Um, and I think this is, this should be the last question because uh, Infinite can't stop looking at your website. But he has one <laughs> final question, I think. He says, do you guys have more first-time customers or is the bulk of your sales from repeat customers? Uh, off the top of my head, I, I would say that, um, we have a lot of new customers. Um, just to, just to be very honest with you, not that we don't have a lot of repeat customers. I mean, like to give an example, the only way you can get this plush other than working for us is by joining our discord and chatting. Like you can't buy it. You have to engage with our community and help people out and whatever. So, um, we do have a lot of return customers, a lot of fans, but like ultimately, PC gaming, PC like components are investments, so you don't replace them that often. Uh, so if I look at kind of our growth over the last few years, it, it's definitely more people becoming aware of our brands and purchasing from us. And uh, we did, like I said, don't get me wrong, we definitely have a ton of repeat customers. Um, we're actually working on a number of programs that we're eventually going to roll out to kind of help um, with what we we tend to refer to as NZXT super fans. We have tons of people that are just big fans uh, of us and. We'll buy, you know, buy stuff from us, but we don't like to, <laughs> we don't like to rest on our loyals. We don't want them to just keep buying from us because they like something we've already done. They, they want to know that we're continuing to to design stuff um, and deliver stuff in the same way that we've always done. So, like, yeah, we a little bit of both, but I, I would say that <clears throat> definitely a shocking amount of, uh, especially during the pandemic, tons of new gamers. Like that micro center story is is very well reflected on uh, the stats of our websites and what we're seeing in terms of demands coming out of all these different uh, manufacturers. Like so many gamers are coming online right now, people that weren't into it before. 
Um, Midway, any final questions or anything at all? Uh, so I guess, uh, I don't, I, I had to step away for a few minutes. So, uh, you know, forgive me if it was, uh, asked, but, um, you said that you're a competitor with Razer. Now Razer is getting into a lot of accessories and mo and definitely with the mobile handsets and stuff. Did you guys ever plan or, or have you planned on like having like a mobile handset or a, or a phone to get into the mobile gaming space? Um, I would say that that is not something that we're immediately focused on. Um, not rolling it out, you know, we'll, you know, if we think it's going to serve PC gamers, we'll look into it. Uh, I think if you look at like Razer as a competitor, like very honestly, like they're, you know, their sweet spots probably more in like things like mice and keyboards and stuff like that. And ours is more in like cases and coolers, but, uh, they, they tend to have a much wider spread than we do. Like I said, we, we tend to be very much more careful about what we're going to work on. I think they just, they get excited and they're trying a lot of different things. So, um, like I said, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't say that we're focused on it either. Um, you know, we have a lot of places that we can add value to PC gaming before we get to mobile. Awesome. Okay. Thank well, you. I was going to, I was going to let the panel do outros and then, um, Sean, you can do the last outro. So it's memorable for sure. Um, but uh, cool. Midway, where can people find you? Midway Monster on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this uh, this interview. I mean, I, for someone that's mainly a console gamer, and uh, you know, talk talking about PCs definitely uh, still new territory to me. Get uh, so it was very it was a good learning experience. Thank you very much. Um, great show. Glad to see the Pope was in the chat uh backing up his nzxt guy there um glad to see uh dreadpool tag team on this one you could tell he was excited about talking about pc especially with his relic he's got in his room so um thank you very much have a good night and dreadpool where can people find you dreadpool can you hear us Oh, sorry. I was muted. <laughs> Daughter came by, so I had to mute. So anyway, my bad. Uh, thank you for uh, Sean for hanging out with us for the past couple hours. Uh, thank you to everybody in the chat. You can find me on Twitter at Dreadpool, the O's or Zeros, YouTube, Gamertag and Stadia is Dreadpool, all letters, all caps. Breaking Bread with Dread. This is where I sit down with uh, other personalities and we go to a table at a restaurant. We We eat food and we discuss whatever the topics are hobbies or interests um, anything like that so sean if you're ever in this area or if i'm over in that area i'd, I'd like to meet up and, and expand more of the topic especially when it comes to tech talk you know, uh, you know i'd like to, to to see more of like the past and where you're at now and hopefully in the future um but we'll see what happens right uh gaming beyond the box every wednesday night at 8 p.m., uh, Breakfast with Boom, Friday mornings at 10 a.m., four guys recorders interviews, like right now, what we're doing. And also, uh, just an FYI, um, Gaming Beyond the Box has a thank miss with Gaming Beyond the Box. It's on Tiltify, T-I-L-T-I-F-Y.com at GBTV. Okay, so... Uh, that's if you guys would please donate to that. Uh, I forgot what Husk said it was uh, going to. I think it was supposed. Uh, oh, 
provide hope and support to families in need during these hard times. So it's our thankfulness. Um, and as always, because these are the holidays, anybody feeling down or, or anything, my DMs are always open. Uh, may not know what to say, but at least I'll be in here for you to listen to. Awesome. Awesome, Dreadpool. Um, and Mav, man, where can people find you? Uh, hey, uh, tonight on Xbox Ultimate Podcast starts in half an hour um, over on my YouTube channel, Fun Speculation. Also, you can uh, check me out on Twitter at Fun Speculation. I'm here with you guys on Tuesdays, uh, as always, and also on uh, Saturdays or Thursdays. Uh, there's going to be a new podcast starting uh, from God's Geeks YouTube, um, and he is going to. It's going to be the Extraordinary Podcast. I'll be co-hosting that with him. Um, it was planned for tomorrow, but he had to he had to cancel that one uh, due to family stuff. Um, but we'll be seeing that pick up probably after the holidays. Um, also uh, on Friday during the day, Next Gen Squad podcast over at Mads Gaming. So yeah, it's a great interview again. I appreciate you you hanging out with us, Sean. Well, can I add one more thing? Sorry, sorry, clowns. I almost forgot. Tonight is going to be one of the probably first and only times we do a live show for W. I'm sorry, FWNR. It's going to be tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Yes. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Sean, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been fantastic talking to you, learning about NZXT, about your history in the industry. A lot of fascinating stuff, actually, about Blizzard and, and your passion for it and your your humble beginnings over at Game Battles and so calm that that is really cool i just want to tell you uh because i remember those days actually so it, it kind of hits me in the heart there um and sean where can people find you uh uh cool so um kind of i'll give two two sets of things to check me on so uh you can find me on twitter uh my handle is daborsk d-a-b-o-r-s-k um so uh, personally, like I do uh, a, a fair amount of uh, writing about the craft of games and stuff. So uh, I also do a podcast for about games called the Art Eater Podcast. Uh, it's part of a uh, magazine that uh, my uh, my business partner from uh, Atlanta started after you know, um, you know I think in college, and then you know we kind of kept doing it, and then we eventually evolved it into a podcast. So we talk about like old games. And like the craft of making games because me and him worked in the industry and a lot of the games i talked about his brother's a game design professor we bring on a bunch of people so we actually just uh, talked about like uh, x-men children of the atom and then before that we had like a nine part series on the guilty gear series and stuff so um you can you can find my stuff at art-eater and then on nzxt obviously uh, nzxt.com and if you're looking to get uh you know, pre-builds or custom build PCs are our services let's build or at let'sbld.com. And I highly recommend our Twitter at NZXT and I highly recommend also the NZXT podcast. Um, they mostly talk to guests and uh, they go through a number of the employees in NZXT and ask them about their life and gaming. So if you want to get like a real, if you really like the insight into the people that work in NZXT, uh, the podcast I think just did their 70th episode. So um, it's, it's pretty fun. And of course, join our, our Discord over an NZXT, the NZXT club. And if you talk to people and help them enough, you can get swag like t-shirts and uh, the Pushy plush and you don't have to own NZXT hardware. Just, you gotta love games and gotta be nice and friendly to people. So thank you all for having me. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Well, that that's really awesome to hear that you also do a, a retro gaming podcast kind of. Uh, I remember X-Men showing around a man. So I'm gonna go back and 
Darkless NER stuff as well. And Dreadpool. Uh, ours are also like three and a half hours long because we have no restraint whatsoever. <laughs> so that's the best. Oh, Pope knows I I can go on for hours. Dreadpool can. I think Dreadpool's longest podcast was five hours. Uh, something like that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know what more? You know, it sounds it sounds like you know I think impressive to people, but now that it like. Now that I kind of just started getting into the world podcasting and I'm not really like good at it, it's amazing how fast those hours go by when you're talking about cool stuff. Yeah. Yes. I don't think people realize that if you have like an hour long podcast or a 30 minute long, how much restraint it takes and how much discipline to not talk for that long. So it's cool. Oh, believe me. I mean, I'm sure like this panel could keep you on for hours talking about video games because we just love them. But, uh, you know, everybody's got things to do and, and stuff comes up like that. So we understand and we appreciate your time, definitely. Um, and for all the people listening, you can check us out at 4 Guys Recorders on almost every platform, uh, YouTube, Twitter, 4GWQ Podcast. We're on all the podcast feeds that you could think of. Um, you could find me on multiple podcasts, 4 Guys Recorders, 4GQ TV News, uh, Game Beyond the Box on Wednesdays, Primetime Game with Mr. Boomstick and Friends. And Mads Gaming Podcast on Monday. And I'm supposed to be a guest when uh, Extraordinary Podcast uh, launches after the first of the year, uh, once everything's settled. So I'm excited for that. And, uh, you know, once again, Sean, uh, hats off to you for your passion. It's, it's really appreciated when passionate guys like you enter this industry and, you know, get in there and make a mark on whatever that you do because you put your passion into that. And that definitely shows. I mean, everything that you've talked about, uh, it, it sounds like passion projects, especially that Greg Hastings cover. That that was awesome. You're like, I can do this. So um, <laughs> thank you so much, man, for coming on and, and talking with us. And I'm going to go ahead and stop the stream now. So um, everybody who's listening, you can find us on Tuesdays, normally uh, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. And then uh, when we do interviews like this, and hopefully we can get some more guys on from NZXT, give you different insights and maybe different parts of NZXT, which would be really cool. But um, thank you, everybody, for coming by, listening, and uh, see you next time. Thank you. Deuces. Later.